Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. You're listening to Puck and Roll. Here's your host, Patrick Lordy. John Bidivo was my uh, idol when I grew up. I met John when I was 10 years old, Quebec City Wee Tournament. I scored a hat trick that day and John was there. We took a picture together. He was putting a hat on my, on my head and he said, maybe one day we'll see you in the NHL. Born in Thurso, Quebec, Guy Lafleur played with an elegance and natural talent reminiscent of his idol. He wore Beliveau's number four and shattered junior scoring records with the Quebec Remparts. The Canadians held the first pick in the 1971 draft, and until draft day, there was some question as to whether they would select Lafleur or St. Catherine's standout Marcel Dion. From the Quebec Ramparts, Guy Lafleur. When you're a kid, your dream is to eventually play in the NHL and to play with your team, Montreal Canadiens, because they were the best and because of the chance of winning the Stanley Cup. Nicknamed the Flower, Lafleur's start in Montreal was anything but easy. He didn't have a great rookie season. It was fine, but it was certainly not to the standards that, you know, was imagined of him. In the second year, pretty much the same. The third year, pretty much the same. The expectations were too high. He came as John Beliveau retired. They thought that Lafleur was coming in to replace Beliveau. You don't replace a guy like that? Uh, Andrew Richard, Yvan Cournoyer, were telling me one day, stop listening to everybody, just play your style. You'll get your confidence back. And that's what I did. At the first time I see Guy Lafleur on the ice, I went back home and I said, wow, what a hockey player that guy is. So that was just a matter of time that Guy was going to be one of the best players in the NHL. After those three years, he became the number one player in the league by a country mile. In his fourth season, Lafleur netted 53 goals and 119 points, more than doubling his totals from the previous year. It was the first of six consecutive seasons with 50-plus goals and 100-plus points. During that time, Lafleur collected three straight scoring titles, three straight Lester B. Pearson awards, and two Hart trophies as MVP. He was the Rocket Richard of the 70s for Montreal fans. Everyone watched the way that this guy skated and scored goals, and he was who I really wanted to be. He was exciting. He had one visual key that could describe that speed, and that was his hair. Going up the right side 90 miles an hour, and that long hair going. There were very few players who would actually lift you out of your seat. But when Lafleur took the puck and his hair was flying behind him, people literally got out of their seats. The Canadians won four straight Stanley Cups from 1976 to 1979. Lafleur won the Conn Smythe in 1977 and paced playoff scoring for three consecutive seasons. He gives it into Lemaire, back to Lafleur. Oh! He scored 518 goals with Montreal before retiring 19 games into the 1984-85 season, but made a comeback four years later with the New York Rangers. I told them, just invite me to the training camp. First scrimmage, goes to the right, takes a shot, far end. 
scores. After a year in New York, he returned to Quebec to close out his career with the Nordiques. When I was on the ice, I was home because every time I was on the ice, I was the happiest guy in the world, especially wearing the Montreal Canadian uniform. Guy Lafleur's dream was to play for the Montreal Canadiens. He retired as the storied franchise's all-time leading scorer. His 1,246 points outrank a myriad of legends, including his childhood idol, Jean Beliveau. Today's episode, we analyze rookie camp as well as the big camp. That's right, preseason is knocking on our doors as the Habs take out the Leafs this upcoming Saturday. We also debut a new segment and tell around the NHL with our new recruit. And of course, our citizen historian Joshua Rosa will likely talk about Gita Fleur, who turned 70. Happy birthday, Guy! This is episode 9 of Puck and Roll. everyone and welcome to another episode of puck and roll our first tuesday edition of our show that's right as we announced last episode and throughout social media episodes will now air every tuesday so we got a lot to cover today let's recap what happened in the last week with the habs blitz season will bring you your share of strange news such as one reporter who compared Caden Gooley to Hal Gill after he was compared to Shea Weber not 24 hours ago. Cole Caulfield also was also predicted to compete with Austin Matthews for the Rocket Richard Trophy but also was reported as needing a stint in Laval before coming back to the NHL. Meanwhile UPA is said to have found a date somewhere on St. Catherine Street. Well, as you know, all these reports, of course, are as credible as the rumors of Jesperi Kokanimi asking to be traded after he was scratched from Game 4 of the Stanley Cup Finals. In more serious news, and pretty much the only news to report as of now, since we'll be covering everything else during the show, the Canadians have offered a PTO to defenseman Cody Golubev. The 31-year-old right-handed shot played all of last season for the Belleville Senators of the AHL after since in Ottawa and Detroit. The former 2008 second-round pick of the Columbus Blue Jackets also had a stint in Colorado, but his career can be summarized as a depth player, having bounced around between the AHL and the NHL. Expect nothing more than an insurance policy if you were to crack the NHL roster. And speaking of cracking the NHL roster, as stated... The games are starting, the preseason games are starting, and of course, tradition, which, as tradition continues, we will be facing the Toronto Maple Leafs. Montreal Toronto, always an exciting moment, even though if it's preseason. And to join us, Scott Cowan, Joshua Rosa, Sebastian High, and making his big comeback, Sam Mendelssohn joins us. Very happy to have, have you back on board, sir, and we're going to start with you. Now, we've got preseason coming on Saturday. I mean, what are we to expect? Anything big you know do you think there's going to be some surprises who are we watching for so i would like we were all curious to know what your take is on this upcoming preseason game 
Well, firstly, Patrick, thank you for the introduction. It's good to be back with the boys and uh, everyone else listening. It's uh, it's been it's been missed by me, so I'm glad to talk about it. And what a better time than the week leading up to the first preseason game against uh, Toronto, as we all know, we uh, came back from three one to win four three. So even if it's a preseason game, I'm going to expect a lot of energy. Um, in, in terms of a preseason game, I think. You always take it with a grain of salt, right? You first look at the roster, and we've just dived into that plenty, and you guys have dived into that as well. How many spots are really available on the team? And I think that's a question to be asked for, but you always know that the team that you start off with to start the season ain't going to always be this team that you finish off with as there's injuries, there's trades. So I'm interested in a couple of things. First thing, uh, I've seen enough already in practice and the one scrimmage against Ottawa that Matthias Norlander is a guy. And I know that Scott is very high on him. I know Sebastian's touched upon him as well. Um, I've seen highlights on Twitter, like Habs Twitter. And I think we all have and seen like this guy has potential. And, and everyone's talking about, you know, Caden Gooley and and the, the presence he brings. Very calm demeanor, very, uh, you know, stern in terms of when he spoke to the media, he goes, yeah, yeah. I, I look from Shea Weber. I don't carry a lot of emotion. He does his job and he does have that Shea Weber. But when I look at Matthias Norlander and I look at this guy who smile lights up a room, the energy comes off the camera. I can only imagine what it would be into the room. This is a team, guys. I know we lost some veterans in Corey Perry, uh, Shea Weber, obviously, you know, going to be put on long term injured reserve. This is a team that you saw throughout the playoffs when things. When things got hard, this is a team that was able to really gel together the camaraderie in the locker room, the belief in one another. And, and I think that Matthias Norlander is a guy that, you know, when you look at the opening day roster, maybe you got Kulak as that sixth defenseman or wide man, and maybe, or you know, they're fine to start the season. But I think Matthias Norlander should definitely be one of those healthy scratches. Maybe he starts off in Laval, so he does get some playing time. And I think we can all agree that that's also a smart move. But I think it is so important for a guy like this to not only be at practices, but to be around professionals, a team that has just came from the Stanley Cup. He's one guy I'm looking forward to watching in the preseason. Now, look, there's six preseason games and every couple games, they'll make a couple cuts and send guys to Laval. And maybe in my opinion, six games is a little too much. I would like four games. I know the NFL brought theirs from four to three, but they only play once a week. The Montreal is playing, you know, every other day or every two days. So I think six games is a lot to really, especially for the Canadians, at least they have their team pretty much figured out. But I do think Matthias Norlander is a guy I'm going to be watching because I think he has definitely potential to be that seventh defenseman. I don't really know much about Chris Weidman. I know when he was in the NHL with the Senators and he has some power play potential, but I like the way Norlander skates. I like his his presence in the locker room. Uh, so he's the first guy I'm looking forward to watching this week uh, or, you know, in the first game, I should say on Saturday. And the other guy is Ryan Paling. I think with the loss of Jesperi Kotkaniemi, there is definitely a clear absence down the middle. Uh, I've read reports that Dvorak's going to be put on the wing or Dvorak's going to be the second-line center, Joanne's going to be like third-line center or, or something. I don't think we know, outside of Nick Suzuki, who is going to play down the middle for the Montreal Canadiens. Suffice it to say, Nick Suzuki's a great number-one center, but I think he's helped out by having guys around him or down the middle that can win face-offs, play the penalty kill. So, you know, Suzuki doesn't have to put all that pressure on him. I think Ryan Paling is a guy we saw one game 
happened to be against the Toronto Maple Leafs, a regular season game that meant nothing for Montreal. And he comes out with a hat trick and everyone's talking about him being the next guy and, and all these amazing things. And then didn't play with the Canadians last year. And again, it was a COVID year. There is that, you know, kind of, you have to give them a break because it was a shortened season and, and COVID was a factor. So I don't really look at the fact that Paling wasn't with the team as a factor, but there's definitely some, role for him to play with his team i'd like to see what he can have if he goes into the preseason and he lights it up and he's winning face-offs and he looks big and you know vice versa he could be not set up for the nhl and he needs more time to develop which again i think we'd also understand as well but if he could show that he's ready to play he could fit in very nicely in that yes barry kotkinami third line and add a little bit more scoring punch which i think the montreal Canes would love and, you know, again, maybe he's not penalty kale minutes. Maybe you've got a guy like Matthew Perot as that fourth line, or maybe Dvorak is number two center, and he's taking the other faceoffs during the penalty kill. But I think Ryan Paling and Matthias Norlander are the two guys personally that I want to watch for and see how they really carry themselves throughout the games, but also how they play. And I think they both will eventually earn a spot on the roster. I missed you, Sam. Really? That was awesome. <laughs> Sebastian, I'm going to ask you the question because I know you've uh, you've had a lot of strong comments about the, the Kanyemi situation, bringing in Christian Dvorak. And Sam brings up an excellent point about this, the, the, the center line. And um saw your reaction a little bit. Where you kind of like scrunching your face when Sam said, oh, Dvorak might play wing, Dvorak might play center. I want to know what that face scrunching was all about. I mean, do you disagree with that? Uh, bringing back Drouet in a, in, a, in a center spot? Or do you think, you know what, it, it is what it is. It's going to be Suzuki, Dvorak, Evans, Paquette, as we've talked about a couple of times on this show. Or do you see maybe different line combinations? And also maybe to tell us your opinion as uh, what you think might happen during uh, the, the big training camp. Well, I would personally bet my life savings that Dvorak starts at center. Like <laughs> you did not trade a first and a, and a, third, and a second round draft pick to get a winger in, in this trade. It was, it was purely to replace, like, if, if you think it's a replacement for Deneau or Kakanyemi is irrelevant, he's a centerman. And he's been playing center his entire career. He is a dominant in the, in the face-off circle. Like, I'm sorry, but if you trade for Dvorak and then you play him on the wing and then you have a center lineup of Suzuki, Drouin, Paling and Evans, like the fan base is just gonna implode, right? Like Duloin is gonna have like like I don't see how that could be beneficial in any way for Jonathan Duloin. And yeah, it would just not be fun. And plus at that point, Montreal has all the wingers in the world. What do you do with like the winger that I guess pushed down when Dvorak's there? So well I believe yeah. it was it was it was yourself or maybe even Josh last week who who mentioned that the big difference right now is uh, with Dvorak is that yeah he actually has wingers and you're going to hear it a little bit later. We have that interview between Scott Cowan and uh, Julian McKenzie. And Julian was uh, will actually say that the same thing. I think that his wingers were Lawson Krause and Tyler Pitnick or something. And now he has the opportunity of playing with guys like Mike Hoffman and Josh Anderson. I mean, that's just, that's just a huge difference of its own. Josh, actually, well, let's 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 go with you, man. Like, do you, what 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 are you what are your predictions for this pre 
preseason? I mean, do you think there's going to be a name that's going to stand out more than others? Are we actually going to be giving a rookie a chance, like Sam was mentioning about Matthias Norlander? Like, we're curious about your, your take on this. Just before Josh chimes in, I just need to sure. say to Sebastian, I also think Christian Dvorak is going to play center. I just want to say at this point, it's all speculation. I've heard so many things, <laughs> and, and I'm totally in agreement with you. You don't trade what you did to get Dvorak to be a winger with all the wingers you have. I'm just saying, cautiously optimistic, what, you know, outside of Evans, Dvorak, you know, that fourth role, or if Evans plays the wing, who takes that spot? So, sorry to take some time from you, Josh, but I just need to clarify that I also oh. think Dvorak will play center. Oh, no, that's okay, Sam, but at the same time, it's like I mentioned earlier in the Habs Blitz segment. I mean, this the reports are ridiculous. You know, you're hearing everything from everyone, and I said, one guy is saying, oh, yeah, 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 Kofi's going to score 50 goals, and the next guy is like, yeah, Kofi's going to start in Laval. Come on. Not going to happen. Josh, go ahead, man. Yeah, uh, I think there's only really two places to look at with the training camp and the preseason games and that center and defense. So I'm going to switch it over to the defense again. Uh, with Matthias Norlander, I hope that they don't play him this year. I haven't looked at it too much. been able to see many SHL games, but I think the more... Uh, experience he gets the better before coming over to the NHL. I think that's why someone like Chris Weinman was brought in. And I think that's going to be really interesting to see because Norlander's clearly the closest it seems to taking a spot in the NHL of all the Montreal rookies. So that would put a bit of a hot seat on Chris Weinman. And Wyman's a defenseman that we just don't really have on the team. If you look at the defenders that we have, we have Petrie, who enough said when he's on, he's a Norris Trophy candidate like he was at the start of the year, and he can put up points and he can defend. But then you got Ben Sherrod, who's more of a defense guy. David Savard, who's very defensive. Joel Edmondson, he's not known for offense. And we got past Toronto with, like, two points from the defense or something like that. And the defense in Vegas was just destroying us offensively. And Gustafson was brought in for a Chris Weidman role and he didn't fully work out. He was very, very sheltered, got the one goal, but that was about it. I'm hoping Weidman could come in with that fire that someone could be knocking on the door and really provide some offense for the defense that really needs some offensive output. It's a really interesting take there, Josh. Uh, Scott, agree or disagree with that assessment? I'm going to throw a bit of caution to the wind here, and I'm not only going to agree with that assessment about uh, Chris Weidman, but I'm going to throw my own player into the mix that I feel kind of fits into the same scheme as Chris Weidman, and that is Jean-Sébastien D. Now, I know there's going to be a bit of an argument that's going to be made there immediately. If you're thinking, why are you talking about Justin Machine D? Obviously, he was an AHL signing. Obviously, Again. <laughs> I've, yes, I, it's a piece of player who I've discussed before, but he's still a player who I am very supportive of and a player who I think has some talent to his game. Now, both Weidman and D found themselves in their own sort of star situation, for better or for worse. D found himself at the forefront of the Buffalo Sabres' 18-game losing streak when he played at center on their first line for whatever reason. He still had a respectable season in the AHL to Rochester Americans. And Chris Weidman led all KHL defensemen in scoring last season and reportedly turned on a $2 million offer to come to Montreal and play here. 
So it's obvious that Chris Weidman was guaranteed an NHL role, otherwise he probably wouldn't have come to North America in the first place. But I think both D and Weidman have an upside to their game that just makes them interesting players to look out for. Back when the Habs acquired Joseph Blondisi a long time ago, even though they didn't qualify him this past offseason, Blondisi and D are similar kind of players in the fact that no matter how long they spend in the AHL, they're always a threat to make the NHL and make a comeback, as just when you think they're gone and just when you think their careers are over, they find they were back on the NHL ice. I think with the Canadians, you can point to the, to the, to the times when they've used Kenny Agostino, Michael Chapu, Bobby Farnham, all these AHL guys who slowly but surely found themselves into bottom six roles because they brought a good thing, they brought good uh, atmosphere to the locker room, they were good players on the ice, and they just played solid defensive roles. Now, regarding Chris Weidman, I definitely think that he could be the Eric Gustafson uh, that wasn't for the Canadians, at least in terms of his defensive responsibilities, and also his offensive upside. Remember, he led all KHL defensemen in scoring, and he's a one-time 60-point defenseman in the AHL. So I'll definitely agree with Joshua there, and I think that Weidman and D are my personal picks for guys who could surprise the training camp. Yeah, I know we made, uh, okay, I made that little again joke, you know, because, yeah, it has been a couple of times you, you were talking about Jean Sebastian D, but it also kind of ties into how deep the Rocket are. Like, you could take almost anybody from the top two lines, and it's like, hey, they can come back in, a, in an emergency role, even, even defensively. They got a lot of really talented players. But that being said, though, there is something that we have never covered because we're uh, we're so focused on you know, the center line. We're so focused on the defense, you know, like who's going to replace Weber and stuff like that. And Sam, I would like to know your take about this just to kind of tie this segment up. I know Carey Price and Jake Allen, they're they're one and two no matter what. But if one of them goes down, like what happens? Do we just rely on Primo? I'm so glad you asked me that because I wanted to give everyone a little, you know, time to talk and pick their players that they're looking forward to. But that is another main primary position that I think that is a target to watch throughout preseason because we know Price's injury history. We know how he is when he's healthy. We know Jake Allen was probably the reason Montreal made the playoffs to begin with when Price went down as Sebastian's saying, yep, uh, yep, we all know that. And so Jake Allen, as great as he was, if Price is to miss extended period of time at some point or Allen, you know, who is that backup that's going to be able to, really have that impact and we saw a little bit of Kane Primo and I think we can all agree that he is a diamond in the rough he's a guy that was picked late in the in the draft uh, in his draft year Um, but a guy that you know I wouldn't say proven himself I think there's other guys out there I think Charlie Lindgren is a really interesting name I think Michael McNiven is another interesting name and and I'm hoping that they're both still on the roster and that I'm not just saying names from a year or two ago because uh, Lincoln is I, now I, in St. Louis. Okay. Yes, so, unfortunately. So, okay, so, <laughs> we'll, and, we'll, we'll just do a quick they, little, they, uh, a little blame Sam because he's been away for a long time. But, no worries, uh, man. But, but Michael McNiven's still there, right? And, yes. Yes. And they also signed Kevin Poulin, who has NHL experience. So now we have an interesting goaltending battle, battle down in Laval. Yeah. Okay. So see, I like interesting goaltending valley as a, as a former goalie myself, as someone who played as high as, I don't know how you do guys in Montreal, but we played select, which is like, here's house league where everyone, if you just sign up, you made it. And then select is like, you kind of have to make a team and there's single a double a triple a. I tried out for those teams, but an undersized goalie who, you know, was great in house league and decent select didn't really make it up that big. I always look at the goaltending battles. Um, you know, when I look at teams and, and I'll figure out, who's going to be that one, one a, and that's why the whole Vegas thing in the playoffs with Leonard and then flurry and then back to flurry and then Leonard, like that to me just didn't make any sense. Cause you got to kind of commit to a goalie, but in terms of what we know with Montreal with price and Allen, we, they're locked in as one and two, 
But who is at number three if that person is? And we know it's now not Charlie Lindgren, but we know it's either Caden Primo or Michael McNiven. And I think Michael McNiven has a really good shot at having a good preseason here. I mean, I'm going to be intrigued to see how they kind of go about the goalies. Is it going to be two periods and then a third, or are they going to switch every period? I don't know if that's the best call. I think you kind of have to commit to a goalie for a game. You got six games. So if you have McNiven, if you have uh, Primo, and then you have Poulin was the last one there, Sebastian. So that's three goalies. They each get two games. I think you could say a lot about, you know, pick the best goalie of that three, maybe as that third I uh, don't know if he would make the roster. I think they would probably ultimately send them back to Laval, but then that creates another log gem in Laval. Who are the two goalies there? And where does that third goalie go? So uh, I think McNiven is a really intriguing name. I think Kane Primo is a little bit more well-known because he's played a few more games with the Has, but he looked a little shell-shocked against the Leafs that one game. He played all right in the other game or two that I remember him playing last year. So, you know, let me see what I got on Michael McNiven. And, you know, I don't know much about Poulin, so I'll be watching him as well. I don't think Habsons are trying to kind of put that thought of Pricey and Hurtigan out of their minds. I don't think they want to think back to the days where Antti Niemi and Mike Condon were their main options in net. And in the words of Canadians fans and writers all over, the Condon broke at some point, and then eventually the season kind of went down the crapper. And Mike Condon, unfortunately, is now just trotting around the AHL and the ECHL, not being able to find a job. But I definitely think going... And I, like you said, Sam, Michael McNiven is a player that me and Sebastian have talked about before in that weird time where he's for some reason filed for arbitration, wouldn't up getting himself an NHL deal. And while I don't think he has NHL potential, it kind of points to the same thing that of Zach Fucali when Bergevin made a comment about what Fucali would start. He said that he just didn't have the experience to play in the NHL just yet. I think throwing McNiven into the fold and kind of just having him disrupt the sort of emergence as Primo as the next big backup option, I think it could be really interesting. And a reminder, if at all else fails, you have Kevin Poulain, who could definitely start in Laval, and he has the most experience out of any goalie in Laval. So it'll be interesting to see how things play out. I don't know if it's fatigue or I'm just really that immature, but I just can't stop laughing at the cotton bro. <laughs> <laughs> You're not alone. <laughs> I still have stars of Dustin Tokarski playing in the playoffs against the Rangers. Oh, yes, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> now, and, and the, the now Buffalo Sabres starter, my uh, Oh, snap. Oh, my God. Oh, God, it's right. Because right, Allmark went to Boston, Poor Buffalo right? Fans. Exactly. Oh, my God. Sorry, Sabres fan. We love you. I, I, if the borders clear up, I'm driving to Buffalo just to see a Dustin Tokarski carry price matchup. That's something for my nightmare, for sure. Oh. God. At go. least Charles of SMD can't play at, at 1C for Buffalo this season. So, <laughs> progress. <laughs> all right, to wrap this segment up, I think we could all agree on one thing, though, is that the cool thing about training camp this year is that because there are so many NHL contracts right on the table and that, you know, we've pretty much, before a, a single game has been played, the lineup has, is already written down. So that opens up so many opportunities for someone to really step up and go, no, man, I want to make this team. And you never know, like a guy like Raphael Arbipinal, who's a, you know, who's someone that we love on this show, might actually just end up being, you know, playing on the fourth line for all we know. So to be continued. And now it is my absolute pleasure to present this next interview. Now, the reason why this interview is a little special is not only, you know, we have a very interesting guest, but this is Scout Cowan's first one-on-one with uh, someone on this show. And it's a really, really, really interesting interview. So let's listen to it right now. 
Hey folks, and welcome to the special one-on-one interview segment of Puck and Roll Podcast. Joining us today, it is my pleasure to welcome uh, associate editor for The Athletic and host of the Hockey Inside Out show for the Montreal Gazette, Mr. Julian McKenzie. Welcome. Hey, thanks so much for, for having me. This is the second podcast I've done this week with uh, someone from the Cowan family. I'm on it. <laughs> That's awesome. Obviously, there's been a lot that I said regarding the Canadians all season this summer, and every sports analyst and fan alike has been looking for a way to voice their or your opinion. With that in mind, I thought we'd go over uh, your thoughts on a few of the key storylines from this offseason and what the future looks like for the Canadians heading into the 2021-22 season. First and foremost, the NHL entry draft. While simultaneously seeing potential future stars like Owen Power and Matthew Berners go number one and number two overall, respectively, it ended with the Canadians at the forefront of its aftermath for all the wrong reasons. The background behind Logan Mayu's selection needs no introduction, but leave you on from it. What were your thoughts on the in the immediate aftermath of the selection? My whole thing on that was just it was just really first off, I'll just say like the draft itself. Like I remember just like watching it at home and just thinking, wow, like nothing's really going on. I'll I'll be I'll be totally frank, like partway through knowing the Canadians were like so late in the first round I watched an episode of Criminal Minds and just like lost like an hour and I was like oh hey great the Canadians haven't picked yet so it started off with like a night that was just going to be majorly like uneventful and look if your dad has probably mentioned this not to mention Stu at all but like there's nothing like being like being at the draft and that's something I hope to eventually experience and then the Logan Mayu selection kind of set off like a domino of like really bad like moments at that draft. And I don't know if you remember as well, but the Chicago Blackhawks had a pick after and considering the allegations that have been surrounding that organization, totally. seeing Stan Bowman and a group of women behind him yeah. just did not look like the greatest look. So what was starting off as like a pretty like mundane night kind of ended off on a pretty bad note, but just to focus more on Logan, I mean, I've put it out already there. Like just the fact that he said that we all know what we all know about the story that he did. And we know he tried to at least take himself out of the draft or at least try to make it so teams wouldn't pick him. But for the Canadians to do that, it almost kind of sabotaged his attempts at trying to redeem himself. But even at that, like you could also argue he, hasn't necessarily even tried to do that himself based off some of of the reporting that we see from the athletic where the victim in that whole situation says that she didn't really get a sincere apology and we don't know how that's changed over the last few months but still it was just a bit of a mess and the canadians the fact that they were willing to go through all that trouble was just really puzzling and i think it's still really puzzling to a lot of people even now as logan will at least not play any meaningful hockey until 2022 at the earliest thanks to that ohl suspension so it's a bit of a weird situation uh i know a lot of people are going to say he's a good player but it's for for all the headache and and stuff that he's willing to kind of impart on the franchise and the fact the franchise is willing to take that on it's i could i would imagine a lot of canadians fans have a lot of sour tastes in their mouth after that I think the whole thing with Mitchell Miller as well being signed in the USHL, the NHL just hasn't had a whole has a lot to deal with regarding all these off ice kind of stuff. I think it's a very in- interesting situation indeed, and it's one in which there appears to be no definitive answer, such as it is. Whilst the Canadians managed to redeem themselves somewhat in the later rounds of the draft with picks such as Joshua Waugh and Xavier Simoneau, free agency is really where GM Mark Bergevin and his staff came to play, making players such as Mike Hoffman and David Savard, among others. Who in your mind is your favorite free agent addition from the Canadians? Is there any you're more skeptical about? I don't know if I have a favorite. I will say that I'm most intrigued about the Mike Hoffman signing only because of the fact that he provides the goal scoring 
And I think if you look at the wings now for the Montreal Canadiens, I've, I've heard people say it's the strongest that they've seen in quite some time. And I think I'm going to co-sign that as well. I don't think I've ever, I mean, I know this is a team that's lost Thomas Tatar. That was a, a top line winger for this team, but they're in a position now where you're looking at the depth chart. You could, you could totally see the Canadians say, okay, we could put Tyler Toffoli on the top left wing, for example, or Mike Hoffman can go there as well. I believe he could play left and right wing and as can Tyler Toffoli. Like we're talking about a team that has some options on the wing. It's just the center. That's just a big question mark. So I think he's, Probably up there for me in terms of ones I'm skeptical about. I'm, I'm not sure if I have one that's like really skeptical, but I guess the biggest one, I guess that kind of counts might be David Savard only because he's clearly the, the defense signing that hopefully will try to fill the Shea Weber void that's there. But the, the reason why I can't put him as completely skeptical, I still think it's a good signing. I still think he's going to eat up some minutes. I think he'll be like a decent top four defenseman. That being said, he get he's closest enough to that label that we're throwing out there only because I don't think he's going to be nearly as feared as Shea Weber was with the Montreal Canadiens. He, Weber is coming off probably his best set of playing with the Canadiens over in the playoffs. And I'd be surprised if, if David Savard was anywhere near that threshold of play. So I, I guess that counts, but I, I also think the David Savard signing was really good. But I think I'm a little bit higher on the Mike Hoffman one. Uh, only because of the goal scoring that he's able to provide for the Canadians. In my mind, there's nobody who can really replace Schwarber for the Canadians on the blue line. He's their big de facto leader. And to uh, chime in a little bit here, Frigacy was my personal favorite part of the offseason, and I definitely found it painted the Canadians in a better light as compared to the entry draft. It sort of made up for it in any fashion you would. Yet, just as things were beginning to look up, however, another bombshell was dropped in the form of Isperi Kakinyemi. The background behind the off-discussed offer sheet is one with many sides to it, but from a hockey perspective, you think the Canadians are losing a lot with Kakinyemi's departure? I'll say that I think the Canadians are... We'll never really know what the Canadians are really going to lose in Jesper Kakinyemi. I think we'll we'll see him do his thing in Carolina. I still think he's going to be in a really good situation over there with the uh, the fact that he's not in an environment that cares about hockey like all the time. He's around some really talented players in Carolina as well. And you know, him playing on the third line in that organization, I don't think is going to be a death sentence, but I know some people are going to think about the fact he's making all that money. Um, I think the fact that the Canadians mishandled Jesperi Kakinimi, they rushed him into the National Hockey League when he was a bit too young. They should have let him stay in Finland or they should have let him play AHL hockey a lot longer than they did. Because of the fact they didn't do all those things, we'll never really know in this city in Montreal uh, what this team really had in him. And Carolina will likely reap whatever rewards are there. But I think the fact that Mark Bergman at least acquired Christian Dvorak, a guy who will play top six minutes. Uh, no one has to worry about whether or not he is a center, a guy who Bergman was describing as a responsible uh, honest guy, 200 foot game can play on penalty kill. Like, even though he's not a draft, he's not nearly as young as, as Kakanyemi is sorry. He's older. He's a little closer to his prime than Kakanyemi is. I think if he does at least decently well, that'll at least soften the blow for a lot of Canadians fans. I think obviously losing Kakanyemi kind of points to how poor the Habs draft record has been over the past few seasons. But leading on from that, there's actually some really talented prospects in Mattias Norlander and Kaden Gooley who are coming through this development camp who seem to have NHL futures. With Kakiyanui's rush development in mind being thrown into the NHL at 18, how do you think the Habs should handle Norlander and Gooley? Do you think they should give them NHL shots right off the bat or let them develop? Oh, no, they should. Uh, like, like, I, just like off the Kakiyanui answer, like, 
And I understand that's playing center and defense are two different positions, but those two players in particular, uh, Norlander and Gooley could represent the future for this franchise. And I think this, this organization should do everything they can to ensure that they're not rushed and they're brought into the national hockey league at a good time, especially Norlander who I understand that, you know, it's either he plays in the NHL or he goes out to play another year in Sweden as a, a team in Sweden has his rights. Like, just let him do that. Let him go play out in Sweden for, for more time. And instead of just having him stay as like a seventh defenseman and not get that much time, uh, just let him play out in Sweden and just let him develop for another year. I don't see why that will hurt. And for a guy like Hayden Gooley, I think it's no question that he'll, he'll still, uh, he won't be with the Canadians lineup. Let him go play with the world juniors. He'll, a lot of people are saying that he'll likely end up being captain of this year's coming team for Canada. So let him go through that experience before the team inevitably, inevitably decides, you know what, we'll sign him to an ELC like next year. So, yeah, I, I think the Kak and Yemi thing, uh, not to go back on that, but in that press conference, uh, Mark Bergevin was asked about the, his handling and he acknowledged that, you know what, he's, he has kind of learned some things about it and maybe realized that letting him stay in Finland might have been a better idea. And he did also acknowledge that with the way he's kind of handled guys like Ryan Paling and Cole Caulfield, like maybe it's, a little better just to kind of just wait and see just a little bit. So you're, you're getting that sense that the Canadians in some sense have learned from that. And I imagine that philosophy might continue with these defensive prospects in, in Norlander and Gooley going forward. I guess you can truly say that hindsight is 2020 when it comes to this kind of stuff. Sometimes going back to what you said earlier about editing, <laughs> going back to what you said earlier about Christian Dvorak and how the latest acquisition of him, Dvorak obviously played for one of the most offensively weak teams in the NHL in the Coyotes and one who have a very grim future ahead of them. What if their arena lease not being renewed? Do you think Dvorak can finally find his offensive groove in Montreal? And do you feel as though going back to what you said about Kakinyemi, do you feel as though he's truly a suitable replacement for him or maybe even an improvement? I'll say this, uh, while the Dvorak trade softens the blow of losing Kakanyemi because the Canadians have a slightly better center than him, you could also say that Dvorak is more of a replacement for Philip Deneau, who he was the best defensive center on the team. And I'm inclined to believe with the way the death chart looks now, Dvorak will likely be the team's best defensive center. Uh, what will that mean for his uh, point production? Well, that we might end up getting a guy who might be slightly better only because of the line mates that he has around him. Like last season in particular, he was playing most of his minutes, I think with like Lawson Krause and Tyler Pitlick. On this team, there's a chance he might be playing with like Jonathan Drew and like Brennan Gallagher. And I, I, I mean, I know Jonathan Drew hasn't played in a few months, but I'm willing to bet that him and Gallagher are a significant upgrade on Lawson Krause and Tyler Pitt. Like that's no disrespect to those two players, but it all depends on, on how he's deployed against some of the best centers in, in the Atlantic division and, and some of the other guys in, in the rest of the league. Right. Cause this is a guy who, especially in his time in Arizona, spent a lot of time going up against guys like Ante Kopitar and, and other great defense, other great centers in the Western conference. So he knows what it's like to go up against some of the best, of the best in the league. Um, I'll say that his points will go up slightly. Uh, it really depends on how the Canadians are doing and, and how he's really being deployed against some of these other big centers. Uh, like an Austin Matthews comes to mind, for example. We'll see how, if they ever get matched up against each other. I could see him as a guy who who kisses 50 points. This is a guy who I think has had below 40 uh, since he's gotten to the National Hockey League. I can see him flirting with 50 points heading into this coming season. 
don't think that Dvorak will bring some of the experience that Kakinimi hasn't quite brought to Montreal yet. But finally, just for a bit of general overview, there's a lot of anticipation regarding the 2021-22 season, both for Canadians fans and the NHL in general. Return to full attendance in Canadian Arena as a new team in the Seattle Kraken, so on and so forth. Considering what Montreal managed last season and with the new acquisitions and multiple changes over the course of this offseason, how do you think they'll perform in a return to their old division? Where do you see them come next season? I see them fighting for a playoff spot. And if you talk to, and I'm sure if you look at the composition of this team, I've seen people say like, oh, you know, with the way that this this uh, this division looks, like the Canes are not going to make the playoffs. And I, I remember one person in particular saying, like, man, this is a year they should just like punt it. Like this roster is composed to, composed of, th- these are guys who are going to try to make the playoffs. Like you don't go and have the free agent frenzy you had last year and then go into this year after you made the Stanley Cup final and say like, you know what, man, like, nah, like we're, we're going to tank this year. There's like four, there's going to be like four playoff spots for like five teams essentially in that division. And like Tampa, Boston, Florida, and Toronto and Montreal are all, I think those are going to be the teams that are really going to be like competing hard. Right. So yeah, I, I, I think that, um, I think with the way that this is going to go, I see the Canadians fighting. I see them going for a wild card spot. I can see them as a wild card team, honestly, but I also think it might depend on one of those other teams I mentioned could be for a playoff spot, also kind of sucking. And it's 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 not impossible. Like the Bruins are going to take a step back. Uh, the Leafs, we have to. I know they're going to be a lot of people are seeing them as a good regular season team, but they're like a bad. I think they're a really bad skid away from everything kind of falling off the wheels and panic just really setting in. Um, Especially with Zach Hyman being gone. Yeah, right? And and Florida as well. Like, that's a team that a lot of people are high on. Uh, if Sergei Bobrovsky isn't handling it in net, like, that might hurt them a little bit. But I also think he has in past That's true. But they also have Spencer Knight, another young goaltender who, you know, he's looked okay in the few moments that he's been in the goal. But that's a lot to put on him if they have to rely on him for, for games, if Bobrovsky can't handle the job, especially at his salary. But I'm but all that to say, like, I'm still high on the Panthers, but I think the Canadians, they'll have to play well themselves, but I, I'm also thinking there's some team ahead of them that has to really underwhelm uh, for them to make the playoffs this year, but they'll be there. They'll be fighting. I don't see them as a really bad team. I think they will be, they will be a team that could fight to make the playoffs. And if they make the playoffs, you could just, throw out any prognostications at that point, even though we'll still make them anyway, because anything could really happen. I think that's definitely a thing that's attributed to the NHL is that anything can happen in the regular season, and especially in the playoffs. I mean, we saw it with the Canadians last last postseason. But going back to what we said about Weber earlier and going about what you said about the Canadians fighting for a playoff spot, obviously losing Weber and losing that, losing a playoff spot, obviously the Canadians will be missing a lot of captaincy and leadership with Weber's departure and possible retirement. With only assistance coming into the next season, who do you think will be able to replace Weber in that leadership role going into 2021-22? I don't know if there's anyone on that team that could really replace him. It's probably going to be one of those leadership by committee things. The good thing is that uh, through guys like a Brendan Gallagher and, and other guys who have had those lengthy cup runs before, even before uh, joining the Canes, like a Joel Edmondson, for example. Uh, and of course, Carey Price being there. Everyone kind of follows Carey Price's lead. It's not as if the Canadians are going to be short on experience and, and some sort of leadership in that locker room. But it is clear that Shea Weber was that figurehead atop that kind of led everybody. So I think they'll miss him in some ways. But I think if we're not talking about a roster filled with young and experienced players who are just trying to figure it out. Uh, these are guys who is a, there's a there's a decent blend of youth and experience. And they all went through a Stanley Cup final together 
Like I, I think everyone, I think everyone who's on that team will have come away with some experience and, and some more hair on their chest, uh, which is weird to say, but you get what I mean. So I think even if they won't have a guy like Shea Weber in the locker room, I think the fact that they'll have guys with some experience and, and some sort of leadership there, I just don't see them being a team that's going to be completely lost in that department. I definitely agree with you on that one. Well, Julian, as always, it was a pleasure to speak with you regarding the Canadians, the inner workings of their lineup and everything in between. For our listeners back at home, where can they find you across this vast reaching internet landscape? Oh, yeah, man. The, this godforsaken <laughs> internet. Uh, Twitter is where you can normally find me, JKA McKenzie. Uh, that's the Twitter handle. Uh, be on the lookout, man. Got some cool stuff coming up with The Athletic and um, all my other podcasts and stuff like Yahoo Sports and uh, the Waterboys podcast and a few other cool things that uh, I can't really mention right now. So, uh, yeah, give me a follow on Twitter at JKA McKenzie. As always, Julian, thanks for coming on our show, and it was a pleasure speaking with you. Mr. Patrick Lorty, I'll throw it back to you. Scott for the wonderful interview that was actually really really interesting and now we are going to talk about Jonathan Drouet now at the moment of this recording the interview just aired literally like a few seconds ago and we had the chance to catch the glimpses and whatnot and of course the big quotes uh and everything and the uh the general consensus though is that well it's not a general consensus this is what Drouet said specifically he's been suffering from anxiety is what is what it's been happening and to a point where it's been affecting him mentally it's been affecting him physically um uh, it was reported as early as this morning that he's having bouts of insomnia when which is a horrible thing to to bout whether you're an athlete or not or not and uh and then he specified like listen i'm 26 years old and you know i need to take care of myself and that's what he did so he took time off fully knowing the playoffs are right around the corner um, and, um, you know, I say more power to him. Doesn't matter what it costs. I get flashbacks of Patrice Brisebois, who went on a full-blown depression because of his time in Montreal. Same thing with Stéphane Richer, you know, the last 50-goal scorer of the Montreal Canadiens, who, who literally asked to be traded because he was feeling suicidal at some points. Um, of course, you know, in modern generation, we'll think about Robin Leonard, who also had bouts of uh, anxiety as well. Um, Sam, I mean, what's your take on Jonathan Drouin taking the time and explaining himself, not via an agent, not via the press. He sat down himself and said, this is my story. This is why I left. Like, what do you think about doing such a thing in today's day and age? You know what, Patrick, I'm not even lying. As I'm about to speak, I'm already at chills because I have the utmost respect for a guy who realizes that, you know, he he just isn't where he needs to be mentally. I mean, let's all forget two things. Number one, these people are human beings. We put athletes on a pedestal. We expect them to be these, you know, gods like players, you know, whether it's hockey or any other sport that you look up to, that we don't expect that, you know, there could be cracks in their armor and that they can't suffer from mental health or they can't deal with depression. 
And we saw what Robert Leonard did. And he came out and he got a standing ovation at the NHL awards that following year, because it says a lot about a player, but also the person for him to come out and publicly say, look, I'm not right. I need help. I need to address it. You know, from the, from the little bit I've heard from Jonathan Joanne, there's, there's a few things. First of all, I think there's, no place, and I live in Toronto, but I honestly think there's no place in the NHL that you can go and just be a hockey player and just live a normal life because that's not Montreal. So basically, I know I kind of jumbled what I wanted to say there. My point being is that Montreal is kind of the polarized city in the NHL for players, for fans, for media. And well, any, any, any giant market for that matter, right? So I mean, you could say the same thing about places like Detroit or New York. Or even nowadays, a little more uh, out, out west. You know, Vancouver is also absolutely insane right. when it comes to media. Yeah, and, and you're absolutely right. Detroit has the Pistons, and they have the Lions, and they have other sports teams. Montreal yeah. doesn't have anything outside of the Canadians. And obviously, you know, people bleed blue, blanc, and rouge. And, you know, we, we saw how they were throughout the, the Stanley Cup playoffs and leading up to that, that, you know, these are a passionate fan base, and I'm proud to say I'm one of them. But when you think of players who have come to Montreal and as great as the Bell Center is and wearing that CH on the front of your jersey is amazing, there is a lot of pressure. We saw, you know, the first guy I always think about, I don't know why, just Louis LeBlanc, a guy that was drafted in the first round, a French kid. And, you know, John Drouin is a French kid, grew up in Montreal, has that extra pressure of being not only a French-speaking Canadians player, but being from the city. And and so the fact that, and I know Sebastian, we talked a little off air, and he's going to chime in and say that, you know, the timing of it all, the fact that he didn't go back to the Canes, he wasn't a distraction. You know, the players were in constant communication. We heard all that. We just didn't have an answer. And I think there was that, you know, cloud of in, in this modern day 2021, where you expect all the information to just be given to you to not know why he stepped away to be like, whoa, what's his problem? And they're kind of trying to make the, they're trying to make the playoffs and they need him and all that stuff. It's like, dude, the guy was going through something. And I think the number one thing that I also wanted to stress on this point is we all went through a global pandemic. It wasn't one, one set of people or one region or one, um, you know, country continent it was literally everyone in the world went through things we stayed at home we had to find ways to stay motivated we lost jobs we got new jobs there was so many things and i'm just talking about like my life like and i'm not even getting paid millions of dollars to be a pro athlete like that that's a lot of things and then you add in the fact that there's you know financial constant uh you know burdens of having to be a a high paid player on the team, a team that you grew up watching a team that you really haven't performed as well as you did, but you're dealing with this bubble type where you can't really go see your friends and family and you can't go out and you're stuck in a room and the the protocols the angel had as strong as they were, it didn't allow players to really go out because they couldn't go anywhere. So I, I, I give Jonathan Joanna tap on his back a stick tap, if you will, if we talk in hockey terms, because this is a guy who's clearly shown to me that he put himself first. And I think you have to do that. You know, the Canadians may or may not have made the Stanley cup with Duran. Maybe they would have won the Stanley cup with Duran. I would have definitely loved to see Duran against his former team. I think we all would have, but I honestly think that this is a guy who sounded good 
He sounded clear-headed, and he's probably more motivated than ever knowing that I had a chance to play with my friends and my team to get them to a Stanley Cup and maybe even win a Stanley Cup, and I missed it. So I want to do everything I can to be the best player I can and get them back there. This is a guy who, at flashes, was a point-per-player game for the Canadians for small stretches. Injuries were a factor. The lines were juggling. Now he might be in a situation where the lines might be pretty well set, he might be playing power play time with Toffoli and Caulfield and scoring goals and getting great assists. I think this guy's more motivated than ever, and I'm really proud of what you've done, Jonathan Joanne. Absolutely. Uh, I agree with you 100%. And the, the the one thing also that stands out in your comments, Sam, is the fact that, yeah, we do live in a, in a, in a pandemic and it makes things harder. But even without the pandemic, uh, the, the the biggest complaint that people will have is like, oh, he's paid millions of dollars. What does he have to complain about? Yo, imagine being paid all this money, but you're not even able to use it. Because the second you walk out of your house, you got like 20 cameras in your face. Every single move is being filmed or is being reported. And also because you speak the same language as the people who live here, it makes things even worse, right? Josh, I want to ask you, uh, your opinion on something because I know you're, a, you're, you're really, really high on leadership on this team. And uh, notably, you know, like the, the, the power of Shea Weber, like I remember you, you saying once. And remember last episode when I mentioned that uh, during media day, the team was re- represented by Tyler Toffoli and Nick Suzuki. And they both said that Jonathan Drouin is welcome with open arms. And he's been in constant touch with the team ever since that he left and whatnot. It's as if he never left, almost according to them, at least. So, in your opinion, I mean, what, like, first of all, what do you, what would you think of, of of players saying such a statement? And also, do you do you think that Duane is is going to come back stronger than ever, as Sam mentioned? Yeah, I think it's just such a powerful statement that they've really rallied behind this guy that's been so maligned in the media, even before all of this, he was traded for a ninth overall pick who was supposed to be this great defensive guy. And he has become that in Tampa Bay. And Drew, I never quite reached what the media wanted him to reach. And it would be so easy to pile on him that. And I'm sure that's what has helped with his condition, unfortunately, but with, him knowing that the team especially such young guys like Nick Suzuki they're not the known leaders of this team they aren't Shea Weber who's saying this as a leader there this is the team saying that they're welcoming him back and it's quite a powerful statement especially for a team that has sort of done some alienation with certain recent moves in this off season that they can rally around something like this and really give the players and the team the support that they need mentally, physically, like the amount of bravery that it took for Jonathan Drew to come out and say what he did. I is so commendable. I can't believe I couldn't imagine what's going through his head. And I know some people will blame him for certain things that he's said and done. And that's just totally incorrect in my opinion. And if it seems from the video, he looks incredible. He's very calm, well-spoken, 
seems like he's gotten what he needs done, the help that he needs. And I'm really looking forward to it. I've always been someone that's really been higher on Druan than other people. I saw that point. I think he had like 17 points at 17 games and then had that wrist injury that really derailed him. So he's got it in him. And now that he's going to come back better than ever, I think he's going to do some special things this year. I think I, I myself, I'm also going to really, really commend Jonathan Drain for what he's doing. And he's a player I've written about before. I wrote about him when he first came out and announced that he was taking a leave of absence. And I tweeted something saying that the media should back off. He, just, he needs his time away. We shouldn't speculate into why he's taking this time off. He just needs his time off regardless of what it is. Now, leading on from that and going back to what we said about Stefan Riche earlier, a lot of what John Fundran has been experiencing in Montreal was the scrutiny and the pressure ties into the Canadian search for the next Stefan Riche, a player who they still haven't found nearly 20, 25 years later. After Stefan Riche scored 50 goals, he was basically the last big French superstar Montreal had. And they haven't really found that guy since then. And before this, we started started recording, me and Patrick were exchanging stories about the late 90s Canadians, which I would like to call the Dark Ages or the Graveyard or however one you want to call it, when Rajon Houle nearly ran this team into the ground uh, for any fault of his own. But at that time, the Canadians were so desperate to find the next stuff on Richet that they were willing to get any guy who had a vaguely French-sounding name a shot. So you've got guys like Jean-Francois Jeanf and Eric Hood, Patrick Lebrec, Martin Jean-Gron, the list goes on. All of these guys were talented players in their own right, but why were they given shots at the Canadians? Because their names were Jean-Francois Jean, because his name was Eric Hood, because his name was Patrick Lebrec. And as, as sad as it may seem, that's carried on to Jonathan Drouet. And I hope that by him coming out and addressing these issues and being upfront about it, we can finally at least somewhat move on from the stigma that's been plaguing the Canadians since Stefan Richet hit that 50-goal mark all those years ago. Sebastian, I know you're a man of an- analytics, uh, but I think we can move past statistics here in this case, and say, even if Drouet comes back this year and does as usual, he'll give you maybe 20 goals, 50 points, let's say, which seems to be the average. Do you think that he can bring more to the team than just statistics at this point? For sure. I mean, we we saw this even last season as the year was starting. Like, I was really high on why even after 20 games of the the shortened season like because even though the goals weren't coming like we, we all we all know this he scored about two goals in in the season uh to go along with about 22 assists but despite despite the low goal tally his effort level was something very different away from the puck than we'd gotten accustomed to previously like he he, he clearly bought into the team philosophy and he back checked hard he worked hard he improved defensively tremendously in my, in, at least for my eye test and again like he might break out this season and honestly if Dewey scores two goals again it wouldn't matter because that that's not where his value comes from right he's a playmaker and he's now a, he's going to be on a line with one of Josh Anderson Tyler Toffoli Cole Caulfield and Mike Hoffman all of whom are goals are, are actual goal scorers like he's going to have an actual sniper on his line no matter what maybe even two. And yeah, I, I, I really think that he has the potential to break out, but at this point, I'm just happy that he is in a healthy place that he took the time. And yeah, I think it was a really brave thing, not only to leave um, and, and take the time off, but also to, to like not come back during the playoffs prematurely, because I mean, look, a Quebecois boy in a round one versus uh, the Maple Leafs, 
that would be a huge reason to come back. Round two, oh, to be Kings of Canada, another reason to come back. Round three, you're almost you're, you're in the final four, reason to come back. And if you're in the Stanley Cup final, again, another reason to come back. And yet he he knew what was best for himself very clearly, and he made the decision that uh, he thinks is best for his career, and that's awesome. And not just for his career, but also just for his life. And I think he made the right the right call. And it might pay off just as much on the ice as uh, it will off the ice. And he might just come back, either produce like points that, that will come up, come up, come up on the score sheet, or he will just have that effort level again and just buy in totally and be a really key member of the top nine in the forward group. The most important part for Jonathan Drouin, and it's something that he said during the interview, is that all he wants to do at this point is just have fun playing hockey. And, you know, it's his career, it's his job. I think anybody, you know, who works at 9 to 5, you know, would just love to be able to just have fun with what they're doing. They're not always the case, but, you know, you still want to be happy. The big thing that I take out of this, and I'm hoping that by saying this, there is someone out there who listens and I and actually does something uh, because what Drouin did, yes, is extremely brave. Uh, just the fact that he took the time to put himself out there to the public and talk about his issues is something that is incredibly brave, especially with this mega scrutiny that is the Montreal media or the Canadian media as a whole. But just the fact that he looked at himself in the mirror one day and he said, I need help. That alone is just huge. And I'm hoping that anybody out there who is having any sort of issues whatsoever, whether, you know, they're just unhappy with themselves, they're unhappy with work, they're unhappy with a family member or whatever the case is, to a point where it's starting to affect their mood, it's starting to affect their sleep, it's starting to affect the way they eat, they talk, they drink, anything, that they could do the same, that they could look at themselves in the mirror and say, I need help. And it could come in any way. You don't necessarily have to like call the shrink and being like, dose me up, brother, because I need all that, those vitamins. It, 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 sometimes it's just being able to just let go in a way, just to talk to someone. So I mean, it's something you could just call up a friend and say, hey, man, I'm not feeling cool. Like, what's up? And then you just talk about it. Because sometimes by bottling it in, it could ruin your life. Or even worse, and I say worse because it's the heaviness that comes with it. It could delay your life in a certain way. There are things that, you know, Drouin has done that, of course, all right, it's a little easier for him because of the access that he has, no, no, no doubt. But, however, he, the fact that he still took the time is important, and it doesn't matter if he did it in the span of a couple of months, three, four, five, six months, whatever it was. Some people have lost years because they couldn't face that music. So it's really important exactly to just get up, you know, and let's just go for it. And we're hoping that, you know, Jonathan is, is really facing all that and being like, Hey man, this is it. And he just has so much fun and he really pulls it off this year. So I don't know about you guys, but I'm rooting for him. It's it's, I think it's going to be a really fun season to, to watch. All right, on that note, let's go back to camp. No, not that camp. Rookie camp with the prospect heroes, Scott Cowan and Sebastian High. 
The Prospect Heroes Scott and Sebastian on Puck and Roll. Sebastian, our prospect heroes. I know you guys have been looking at rookie camp with absolute salivation. Sebastian, how about we start with you? Um, I know there's a lot of talk about, you know, obviously all eyes on Norlander, all eyes also on Caden Gooley and everything. Um, but I don't know. There's a certain um, amount of people that are saying, oof, rookies are looking sloppy. I mean, what was it? I mean, I know you watched today's uh, or Monday's. Uh, rookie game against the Senators. Tell me what your thoughts about that. I, I think a big reason that it looked so sloppy was because it was against the Senators, which uh, and like their rookie team is basically an, a- an AHL team, whereas the Hab the, the team that at the Habs iced uh, includes players that will never even hit the AHL. And um, yeah, it was just it was just like I, like the, the score lines make it look a lot closer in terms of quality between the teams than it was in reality. Uh, but uh, despite that, I think there, there were a lot of like really interesting storylines that came up and just like certain players that really just, like stood out for the right reasons. And um, like Caden Gooley and Norlander weren't exact, exactly the ones that stood out, which is in itself a bit of a surprise. So Gooley, um, uh, okay, so Gooley did not play great in either game. He wasn't terrible, but he didn't play great. And it prompted a lot of these, um, I guess angry like tweets from Habs fans that most of them would would be in like the analytics the analytics community and they are already saying like trade Gooley he's he's not going to be good he's another Ben Chirot and I know some people on this podcast really like Ben Chirot I I don't I find him a bit a bit pain, painful to watch just with like zone exits and stuff but um, just it's just look Caden Gooley has played twelve games since the pandemic began, like give the kid a break. He's recovering from an injury. Like you, you can't just make these monumental statements on any player in rookie camp. Like, come on, give the guy just like some time. We but just love to it... exaggerate, right? <laughs> yeah. And like, it's, it's just anyways, like, like Gooley, he, he struck, like he's skating well, which is great. Um, he had some really nice defenses against the rush, which is great. But uh, his passing is off and uh, like for zone exits and stuff is a bit painful, but like that's something that he has to work on and that he will work on and that he will improve with. And Norlander really struggled in the first game. Like he he got a goal, but like he did not play well in that game. He was getting overwhelmed by every attack. He looked really out of place. But in the second game, uh, Gouli looked looked a little bit worse and Norlander looked actually quite good overall. I, I, I thought he had... He killed some plays very effectively. Like defense is never going to be his calling card, but he played well. And he has some nice like plays in the offensive zone. He's very brave in the offensive zone. And that that's carried over from his play in Sweden, which I wasn't sure it would, because in Sweden, of course, you have the bigger ice, the bigger rink. So it facilitates the movement of defenders. And but no, like a goalie goes all the way like up to like 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 like, like beyond the top of, a, of a, the circle on the power play. It's like a lot of movement, something that the Habs power play lacks is just movement, right? It's often very static and he's fun to watch. But again, I don't think either player should make the team. And I don't think either player is really threatening to make the team as it stands right now. We'll see in preseason, 
Um, but there were other players on the on like on this roster that stood out a lot more than these two, despite them being the biggest names. Scott, let me ask you a question. I mean, the um, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm still laughing a little bit at what Sebastian said about everyone panicking. You're like, it's rookie games for Christ's sake, you know? Like everyone is just like, ah, let's get rid of him. Let's drink. Like, let's calm down. Let's 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 you know take a deep breath. Everyone's allowed some bad games and everything. But my question to you is, we're not looking at the score, right? We're not looking at the collective play, right? I mean, if I'm, if like, color me wrong, but I mean, I'm looking at the rookie games and I, and I see, all right, it's an opportunity to look at the condition that the person, that the player is in. How will they react in certain situations? I mean, are they hot on this on this side or are they cold on this side? I mean, am I am I wrong by by assuming that, or is it a completely different uh, analysis when you're looking at these rookies in camp? No, I definitely think that's a fair analysis to make, Patrick. Because I always think back to a really old article that was written about Carey Price when he played against the Winnipeg Jets in a preseason game, and they said when it comes to the regular season, Carey Price won't be facing any at the time. Uh, well, he won't be facing any Logan Stanley's because Logan Stanley at the time was just a random Jets prospect. As we know now, he was the guy who almost killed the Canadians in game four. That's besides the point. Almost. Rookie <laughs> camp is, at the moment, house fans are just looking for anything they grasp at hockey-wise that they can just sort of take a look at. It. And that's the thing. Uh, they've been clamoring for more hockey. That playoff run obviously left a lot of house fans excited for the future of the team. And this rookie camp has given them the chance to see that very same future. With that being said, however, I think this is more of a chance to see how these players, as you stated, perform in different situations than any real value or any real meaning behind these games. The scorelines are just scorelines at the end of the day, and the Ottawa Senators have a much better prospect pool because that's the way their team's been built. They've been rebuilding for the past four seasons, and they're finally starting to see the fruits of their labor. The Senators could be a very, very good team in the next few seasons of all the players they have. As Sebastian said, they're more so an AHL team than anything else, while what the Habs dressed had guys like Tori Dello on the team, a 24-year-old defenseman who looked incredibly out of place in game one and hopefully will not be signed to a contract. And if he is, well, I just, let's just not even put that thought into our minds right now. But besides that, that's besides the point, I just think that for the moment, for guys like Gooley and guys like Norlander, it's just great to see them play and get to see them play with fellow players who they could be playing with in the future. I don't really think going into their the schematics of whether they'll play with the Canadians next season, oh, let's trade him, he didn't have a good game. It's rookie camp. It's a chance to let these guys develop. It's a chance to let them play and see how they perform. And the thing else you got to realize is that Caden Gooley's defensive partner, it was a guy like Tori Dello. His defensive partner isn't exactly a proven NHL player. And that'll be the difference in training camp. They'll be playing with more proven guys. So I think it remains to be seen how they'll fare come next season. Guys, who else is standing out in this? I mean, we keep talking about Norlander and Gooley, but is there anybody else that, uh, that you think might be cause a surprise? And Sebastian, I'm seeing you not. Go ahead, buddy. Well, okay. Uh, there are a couple of guys here that I was really impressed by. Not that they're going to threaten for, for camp because they're not even signed to NHL contracts at this point because they were drafted this season. Uh, so the, the, Yeah, but that's the what real... camp is for, man. You know, it's exactly. for people to just display themselves and make themselves worth, basically. The, the, the biggest standout to me um, would be uh, Joshua Roy. And I don't, yes. I think, I think it's, it's by a decent margin too. It's mm-hmm. so a fifth round draft pick this year after going first overall in the QMJHL draft. Um, and he was a guy where it's like, okay, pure skill, but the work ethic just wasn't there of just, he was 20 pounds overweight uh, last season. And you just, it, it was a wild card, but he was very young for his draft class. So you can also look at like, well, maybe it was just an immature year for, um, 
a kid from rural Quebec getting used to just the city life too, right? And like, you, you don't know. And he showed up in camp in great shape. And he is, has been playing on the top line in both games uh, with, alongside Jan Mishak and Raphael Arlipinar. And he's been just as good as the two other guys have. Like, and that's saying something. Mishak is a second-round pick from last from, from a draft earlier. And uh, Arlie Pinar is, again, one of our favorites on this show. We love him. He's, he's just like the hardest-working player you can imagine. And uh, Roy, he he's showing a work ethic. He's back-checking hard. He's skating a lot better than he was even last season after his trade. Like, he got traded from St. John to uh, Sherbrooke, and he was starting to, to lose some weight. But even in those last games that, of the season – his skating was like a bit sluggish, but so far I, I've been very impressed. It's not, it's not a standout quality, but it's not a weakness, which is already a great improvement, especially just for a couple of months. And he scored today at, at like on Monday, Monday's game here. Are you, he also so, got an assist. Let me, let me interrupt Sebastian. Are you aware of the, if there was any deciding factor as to why he, he started losing all this weight? I mean, this, was there a coach that came up to him being like, yo dude, your skating sucks. <laughs> There's something okay. that needs to be done. So at, at least in his interview, he was saying that like apparently the like the nutrition on uh, the like 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 for the St. John Sea Dogs was just really bad, especially on the road. And he just got kind of got carried away and he demanded a trade partly because of nutrition. So it was also just then during right. the summertime, he just got down and cardio, 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 just a shed weight. And it worked. And he's been fun to watch. He had a great assist on the on Harvey Pinard's um, uh, power play goal today. Just cross seam pass, beautiful. He had a tip in. He, he had a, a deflection goal. It's he's been great. And uh, yeah. it, that draft pick could really pay off. I definitely, I definitely agree with you there on Wa. What you're talking about, Sebastian, because even before the lead up to the NHL draft, way way back when I was doing sort of mock drafts and stuff, I saw Wall rent us at the top 100. I thought, hey, maybe it'd be fun if a team threw a pick at him in the early rounds because the thing that's really nice about Joshua Wall is his background. He's a former first overall pick in the QMJHL draft. He carries a lot of upside to his game. And I definitely feel like he's a player that when he puts everything together and when he gets his fitness going, when he puts everything, I think he could be a very, very talented potential NHL player in the future. He definitely has that upside to himself. And he was a first overall pick for a reason. And leading on from that, I think a lot of the guys that impressed the most in the Habs camp were the guys who put up the biggest numbers in the QMJHL. You're talking about guys like Cedric Despiso, another fan favorite of this podcast, Xavier Simoneau, guys who already have these big time roles and they're given chances to show that big time ability so i think going back to what i said about ricky camp the guys who usually have put up the biggest numbers this camp is the best place for them to show what they can do even if they're on a tryout they get a chance to score a goal here and there they might get a professional contract even off montreal both another team down the line yeah and i just want to do a little quick fire round for just some other players that that stood out for the right for the right reasons okay so um william trudeau he only played in the first of the two rookie camp games. He was tremendous. He scored a great goal, but more importantly, defensively, he was incredibly solid. Um, he was the best defender on the team in that game, uh, like surpassing Norlander and Gouli. Uh, incredibly smart player. I was really impressed. I think that his skating has also improved over the summertime, which is also good because before it was it was fine, but it needed to improve, uh, which is awesome. Then uh, Joe Verbetich, goalie, played in the first game. He was very good. Wow. And he was a big wild card because he didn't play at all last season. And he played the year before at the draft minus one for North Bay, which is a terrible team and put up bad numbers because it's North Bay. 
and he played very well. Like, like he, he, he conceded like four goals in the end, but he played well, which is way more important, right? Like he, he got kind of left out to dry by in some scenarios and he had some really acrobatic saves and I, I liked him a lot. I've seen, I've seen the highlights of, of of him at the at the last game, and to be honest with you, and this is kind of what prompted me to asking that question to the Samer earlier. You know, like you know, if something happens to Price and Allen, you know, who do we got? And I'm looking at Radovich. I'm like, wow, man, this guy's got skills. This guy is acrobatic like crazy. I mean, if you could just get the he's fundamentals huge. done, and he's massive. yeah, that's the thing. He's he's a big he's a big intimidating presence in that, and you notice that right off the bat as soon as the bucket dropped, this guy's just a big. Presence. He's exactly. lanky. He's big and lanky. He's big and lanky. Got shades of Dominic Hashek. <laughs> or going back to what we talked about earlier, Dustin Wolf, Sebastian yeah. Costa. Yeah. I think just really quickly, going back to what you were saying about Sebastian, I just wanted to throw in two really quick prospects that I think were interesting. And these are guys that weren't signed, were never invited. And that's Mika Sear and Charles Antoine Raw. And there's a difference between these two guys compared to a lot of the other tryouts at the camp is that if you look at a lot of the statistics from these trial players, they, their only good season was their overager season, which makes sense for a lot of these guys because when you're 20 years old, you're basically a man amongst boys. So your numbers are expected to go up. But for Sierra and Charles Antoine Waugh, they both posted, they've been posting solid numbers ever since they got into the QNJHL and they're 18, 19. And I definitely think there'll be guys who will be ones to look out for in terms of getting maybe an ECHL or an AHL contract on the line. Mika Sierra personally is a guy who I've just been randomly kind of on my on, on and off my radar for the past few seasons. And it's just nice to see him get a shot with the Canadians development camp and get a chance to play with some talented players. Yeah, well, the, th- the thing with Waugh, Sebastian, and I don't know if you can confirm this, I mean, He's not a giant man. You know, he's like, what, 6'1", 190 pounds soaking wet or something. And But he plays a very, very responsible role from all the analysis that I've, that I've actually, um, you know, seen in some of the videos and whatnot. I mean, uh, I took two seconds just now and I opened Hockey DB, you know, and this is a guy who will score maybe 10, 15, 20 goals a year and 30 points and whatnot. And it kind of confirms like what I've seen on on video i mean is this is this the kind of guy who who you might say hey you know there's that old school defensive center you know that we don't seem to be seeing all all that much or maybe you know his upside is maybe a little a little higher than that um again i i I can't say I tracked him before this rookie camp and two rookie camp games are really not much to go on, but he was very physical in both these games against an Ottawa side that was a lot more physical than Montreal's team uh, because as a whole, they were a lot older, but uh, Charles-Antoine Roy, so not, not Joshua, but the other Roy, uh, was quite physical and was, was kind of playing that like gritty bottom six role. He was pretty good at it. Like I, I, I don't know what his upside could possibly be at this point. If, if he were to ever make the NHL, it would be like a Nate Thompson kind of role with a bit of added physicality. But again, it's yeah. just the sample size is too small for me to say, really. But like another, another like just like the last like three people, I just want to like cover for like 10 seconds each. Uh, Jan Mishak uh, was phenomenal in the second game. Like he was, he was yeah. Montreal's best attacking player. He was skating circles around Ottawa defenders, not even on the power play. Um, he just looked really dynamic. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing a full season of him in Hamilton in the OHL now. Uh, Xavier Simonou only played the first game, but uh, he had a great assist on William Trudeau's uh, opening goal. And again, he's, he's just a great playmaker. He's just fun. It's, he's going to be so good. 
I mean, I don't know. He's so much fun. Like, yeah. like I'm looking forward to a full season of him in Charlottetown this this year because, like, him Trudeau on a dominant, dominant Charlottetown team, it's it's going to be great. Mm-hmm. And then the last one, like, you can't, I can't really not mention him is Raphael Arvipinar. He he <laughs> is. OG. He's captain captain of this rookie camp team. And again, his motor never stops. He contributes on the power play. He scored a a nice one-timer from that feed from Joshua Roy. Mm -hmm. He's on the penalty kill. He's doing everything. And again, like I, I really struggle seeing a future of the Montreal Canadiens beyond like, like if you go like two years in advance to like 12 years in the future without Rafael Avipinar on the fourth or, or maybe even third line. I'm just going to throw a caution to win also really quick. For those of you wondering about Jan Misak and also his electrifying nature, Jan Misak scored two goals for Laval last season, and his first goal might have been one of the best goals I've seen in the NHL in quite a long time. <laughs> yep. The other thing about Jan Misak is that he's an electrifying player no matter whenever he gets the chance to. I forget who it was, if it was you, Scott, or Sebastian, in the early episodes of our podcast where we were – kind of reviewing some of the draft picks and everything. And the, the name of Jan Misak came up and we got so lit up and excited about him for those exact reasons being like, every time he hits the ice, you know, something's going to happen. You know, it's going to be a crazy deke. It's going to be a pass out of nowhere. It's going to be like, well, he just teleported himself from one end of the ice to the other. I mean, this guy has incredible offensive skills and we're hoping that he's going to use that. Um, well, intelligently for that matter. But uh, I just want to add a little bit to uh, Rafael Arvipinar, and I totally agree with Sebastian. I mean, oh my goodness, the, the, the effort, the grind, the passion that's behind this kid. How can you not like him? He's so freaking cool. And, and, and what he's contributed already in Laval, like, oh, you, you cannot help but just really root for him. And yeah, we make jokes all the time being like, hey, yeah, him and Cédric de Ruisseur are like two guys that we root, we root for and everything. But like, how long has it been, guys, since we've had rookies on these on this team that we were so excited to see get on the next level? I don't remember. You know, aside from Cole Caulfield, maybe. You know, there was no like there hasn't been someone for a long for a long time being like, oh man, we can't wait until he hits the NHL. You know, and, and the impact it's gonna have. So I don't know. I mean, like I know I know like most of these kids, if not all are going to be sent either to the juniors or maybe they'll, they'll, they'll get a shot in, in Laval and everything. But, I mean, it's getting crowded down there, and it's it feels it feels good that for once that's in a couple of years when, you know, some of the players are going to be aging, traded, free agency, whatever, that we actually have some backup coming our way. So For sure. And you can criticize, like, Trevor Timmons and his drafting all you want, but I, still will. I just want him to load up on seventh-round picks because they turn into gold with – Crazy regularity. You also don't want to load up on picks that have a bit of a iffy background behind them, but we're just not going to get into that for the moment being. <laughs> that load into the station. Yeah, exactly. We're going to let that truck load into the station, dump off its harvest, and move on if it's day. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, how about a little bit of history? Joshua Rosa standing by with On This Day in Habs History. This day in Habs history. On this day, September 20th, 1951, a little bouncing baby boy was born in Thurso, Quebec. It seemed like destiny that today is the day of the one, the only, who else? Everyone knows 
who we're talking about, Guy Lafleur. It seems like we talk about him every week, but when you score the most points in team history, your name kind of tends to come up pretty often. It seemed like fate that Lafleur would become a member of Canadians, but it was very nearly not so. The NHL expanded for the first time in 1967 from six teams to 12, adding in the Los Angeles Kings, Philadelphia Flyers, St. Louis Blues, Pittsburgh Penguins, Minnesota North Stars, and the Oakland Seals, who quickly became the California Golden Seals. Unfortunately, these expansion teams were a bit less Vegas Golden Knights and a bit more Atlanta Thrashers. Sorry, Maria, your favorite defunct team. Montreal Canadiens general manager Sam Pollock tried to prohibit these new teams from trading their first-round picks, knowing they'd be bad and the best way to build a team is through the draft, but the other general managers vetoed the decision, so Pollock made them pay. He accrued 17 first-round picks in the next six years, one of which turned out to be Guy Lafleur. A trade was made sending Montreal's first round pick in 1970, which would be 10th overall in a 12-team league, and a minor league forward Ernie Hakey for a minor league defender Francois Lacombe and the Golden Seals' first round pick in 1971, Lafleur's draft year. The Golden Seals were bad, as Pollock bet, but the LA Kings were even worse, and by proxy, the Bruins' draft pick. But Pollock sent aging forward Ralph Backstrom for essentially nothing. I'm sorry, Gord Labossiere and Ray Fortin, but you never played a game in Montreal. And the sole reason was to make LA better, and that's what Backstrom did. Backstrom helped the Kings out of the basement and ensured that Montreal would get the first overall pick in the draft and draft Guy Lafleur. 20 years later, after drafting Lafleur, on September 20th, 1991, the Canadians traded away Tom Chorsky and Stefan Richet for Kirk Muller and Roland Melanson. It's tough to call a winner as both teams did end up winning a cup with these players as part of their core, but Montreal did gain a captain if it was just for the one year. Kirk Muller was then packaged away from Montreal to the Islanders to bring in former first overall pick Pierre Tourjean, who had 238 seasons in Montreal and was Montreal's captain for a year. The player received for the Kirk Muller trade was Vladimir Malakov. If you don't recognize the name, you may recognize who he was traded for later, Selden Shure. And of course, it also brings back some um, really bad memories when you say that because afterwards, Pierre Turgeon was uh, pretty much given to the St. Louis Blues for... Shane Corson and Murray Barron. Somewhere out there, my dad is crying. Tura Robinson. Robinson au centre. Robinson à la fleur. Robinson a fait la passe parfaite. Et la fleur. On that note, if ever you want to, guys, you want to communicate with Josh, maybe, you know, to tell him that there are other things other than Guy Lafleur to talk about, or you just want to send any type of message to anyone on the staff, make sure to log into puckandroll.com. 
Look at the right side of the screen on the bottom right there. There's a nice little microphone. It's kind of static on there. Click on that. Send us a voicemail. Hey, who knows? Maybe we'll feature you on our show. that at this time we were joined by someone who we've interviewed a few episodes ago he liked the interview so much that he decided to join our show <laughs> for a new segment called around the nhl it is my absolute pleasure to introduce to you anthony demarco once again welcome sir i'm really happy to be back and yeah you guys were up to task so i figured why not get my hands in the pot and uh, start directing traffic i'm just kidding but all seriousness, really looking forward to this uh, for the coming weeks and months and however long that you can put up with me and I can put up with you. So uh, let's get oh, right into it. <laughs> all right. So let's get right into it indeed, Anthony. So what do you got uh, for us in terms of the big news around the NHL this week? Well, big news, right? Obviously, we have some pending RFAs still unsigned, most notably Brady Kachuk out of Ottawa, Elias Pedersen out of Vancouver, um, it seems like Brady Kachuk is big game hunting and why wouldn't he be, you know, Thomas Shabbat signed an eight by eight contract. Uh, I believe it was two years ago. You'd have to think that is the benchmark for Kachuk. I wouldn't be surprised if he goes any higher. If you go by a lot of advanced metrics last year, he was a top five winger in the NHL and by far the best player for the Ottawa Senators. And, you know, obviously there is a bit of a stingy history from uh, Ottawa ownership and Eugene Melnick yeah. for paying his players. But I think Brady Kachuk is one guy that you really can't mess around with. You really just got to lock him in. And I think he's the next captain of that team. And I think it will get done sooner rather than later. Just kind of a who will blink first type of scenario. Uh, obviously, Elias Pedersen, Maybe more of a bridge contract seems to be more on the table along with Kim uh, Quinn Hughes out there. Mm -hmm. And again, you know, the Vancouver Canucks sometimes have a kind of, you know, stingy part about them in terms of ownership. They're in more of a cap crunch than the Ottawa Senators. I think Elias Pedersen is a budding superstar in this league. And if they just, and if they decide to bridge him, that's probably going to bite you down the road. And then an RFA who signed uh, yesterday, actually, was Nolan Patrick with the Las Vegas Golden Knights. I believe he got two years, 1.2 million AAV. Uh, a guy who has had a rocky road in the NHL with the Philadelphia Flyers, missed all of the 2019-20 season, came back last year, was absolutely horrendous for a lack of better terms. There were some intangible things going on behind the scenes. He did not like Philadelphia. He didn't want to be in Philadelphia. And now he goes to the Las Vegas School Knights, who clearly need, have a need at center and a long-term center ice position hole that Patrick can theoretically um, fill. And there's familiarity along with GM Kelly McCrimmon, who was the coach and GM with the Brandon Wheat Kings when uh, Nolan Patrick was playing his junior career. And last but certainly not least, especially if we're talking about stature of players, we have Zidane Chara signing with the New York Islanders on a one-year contract. Unreal, eh? Yeah, and as you said before uh, we started recording here, it kind of went full circle. He's back on the island. And I think that's a very, you know, Lou Lamorello type of signing. You know, he comes in along with Zach Parise, will bring mm. some intangibles to that team. And I don't think that there's any secret that their eyes are on the Stanley Cup this season. 
And, uh, you know, I think they're going to take a bit of a hit with Nick Letty moving on to Detroit in a captain type of trade. They're going to be looking for a guy like Noah Dobson to take the next step in his development to kind of make up for that. But I think you bring in Zdeno Chara, who will probably play with Noah Dobson out of the gate. I would assume that um, his name escapes me right now. Andy Green actually moves up to play with uh, Scott Mayfield on the Likely, second yeah. pair. And, uh, you know, obviously one of the best pairs in the NHL with Pilek and Pollock. So uh, good signing for the uh, New York Islanders, both on and off the ice. I think it's a fantastic signing as well. The fit is so perfect. I mean, yeah, like I said earlier, the whole co- you know, coming full circle, going back to, you know, the team that drafted you and, and whatnot. And the jokes are going around all over social media where, where were you in 1990? <laughs> was it six or something when he got drafted? And I was like, wow, I was starting high school. I'm like, damn, that was a long time ago. My wife was like, I was starting grade one. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but the, the, the fit is so great also because of the style that Barry Trotz actually um, praises on, onto the this Islander squad as well, because I mean, you know, this is, this is a defensive master for that matter. And everyone has bought into the system last year, which is why they made it so far in the playoffs and actually challenged the like, you know, for a spot in the Stanley cup finals as well, whether you like it or not. And putting a guy like Chara, you put him on the third pair, you play him maybe 12, 13 minutes a, a game and everything. And, you know, he'll give you what, you know, what you expect of him. No, he's no longer an offensive threat. Forget about that. But he's still a, a man that on skates is pr- is practically seven feet tall, you know, the size of Brock Lesnar practically, and <laughs> and then you know it's like it's still an intimidating figure. Uh, leading on from that, I actually um, I'm gonna press the rewind button just because you mentioned something uh, that I I feel that maybe we should expand on a little bit. You mentioned Brady Kachuk earlier, and you mentioned how he's a candidate to become Senators captain. Um, I find it really well. First of all, I I'm, I'm reading all the stories online and what what's true, what's not. We don't know because that's the beauty of the offseason. There is so much BS going on, and I think you could pretty much attest to that, especially with the recent Samuel Morin news. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and you know, for those who weren't aware, like it was reported all over social media that Samuel Morin from the Philadelphia Flyers um, broke his knee or something like that. Anyways, his career was pretty much over until he's the one who actually reached out to media, being like, uh, "I'm fine. I got a bruise." That's pretty much it. Like, I'm good to go, buddy. I don't know what the hell's going on, you know? But uh, back to the Kachucks, everyone who's known his, like, the, like you know, the paternal units and Keith Kachuk knows that he he drives a hard negotiation. He's always, you know, expected top dollars and try to get every single penny out of it. And it seems what the Suns are doing as well. And now Matthew Kachuk uh, from Calgary goes out and saying, oh, there's... There's no deal, not even close. Uh, we're going for you know the max amount of money and everything. So I'm like, you already got a guy like Thomas Shabbat making eight million a year. I mean, seriously, like, are you gonna pay Brady Kachuk eight point five million dollars a year, for example? Give him the captaincy on top of that, giving all that whirlwind and controversy around him and stuff like that. And this goes back to a recurring question that we've had on this show, and I'm sure you you've heard it a bunch of times because I know you've you've been here listening to us as well. What is this obsession with paying players before they've proven anything? You know, it's a trend in the NHL that I feel like has really caught on ever since probably Connor McDavid signed his contract. And that's not to say, or even going back farther than that, probably the Leon Dreisaitl deal 
that a lot of people thought was a bad contract coming off of his ELC when he got uh, $8.25 million uh, per year, which is now a steal. But I think that it has just gone so far the other way and kind of an overcorrectness of such, in my opinion, because I think for a lot of years there were players that weren't getting paid enough and they would only start getting paid in their late 20s. And now it's kind of like you're paying players for what they're going to do as opposed for what they've done. But on the flip side of that, you look at guys in their 30s and you become a, let's say, a UFA and you're north of 30, you're not getting anything. And I look at a guy like Wayne Simmons, who he was on one of the best value contracts for years and years and years, making just under $4 million with the Philadelphia Flyers as one of the best power forwards in the NHL. And then he gets to UFA. He struggles to find a one-year contract from the New Jersey Devils in the summer of 2019 for $5 million. And then ever since then, he's making near league minimum with the Toronto Maple Leafs. So I can understand the want of players and agents to get paid now because it seems as though once you're 30 in the NHL, you're you're pretty much viewed as spare parts unless you're Sidney Crosby or players in that stratosphere. So I look at a guy like Brady Kachuk, specifically with the Ottawa Senators, and he kind of has them over a barrel here. And, you know, they flushed the the prior core down the toilet in the likes of, let's say, Derek Broussard and Mark Stone and Mike Hoffman and Eric Carlson because they did not want to pay that group and they felt that that core was kind of fool's gold. They weren't as good as maybe that 2017 run was indicated. But now I'm looking at it I'm saying, to your point, you've already paid Thomas Shabbat. You have Brady Kachuk. You really have to pay him at this point. Do I think that at this juncture, he's an $8.5 million player in the NHL? Probably not. But is he an $8.5 million player for the Ottawa Senators and that organization? I would probably say yes. So Seriously? Because this is a guy who scored 20 goals a year, man. 20 goals, 40 points. Are you going to pay $8 million a year to a guy who's doing 40 points a year? Granted, his uh, his ceiling is extremely high. That much I will I will agree. But that's that's the point I'm trying to make. Like especially when you're trying to build a team. I mean, you know, you tell him, listen, buddy, you've been us 20 goals, he goes 40 points. We'll give you worst case, you give him half of that. You give him four million dollars a year. You well, know, you you could give him that, but then you're gonna give him what two like uh, two years, and then what happens in a couple of years from now when the cap goes up? Is he gonna become a nine million dollar player? Um, This is the problem that you're in. And you also got to look at it through the lens of the Ottawa Senators. What does he mean for that team? Mm -hmm. Beyond Brady Kachuk, what player is going to be the face and the leader of that offensive group? Now, you can make the case it could be Josh Norris after the breakout season he had. Could it be Tim Stutzlow when all is said and done? But you look at what they just gave Drake Batherson. And Drake Batherson just got six years at a shade under $5 million. So he got a long-term-ish deal. Now, obviously, he's older than uh, Brady Kachuk, or at least I believe he is. But if he's worth $5 million, what is Brady Kachuk worth? And that's the problem you kind of get when you lock in players lower on your depth chart as opposed to higher. Because now you know it's starting at $5 million. So in my opinion, if you want to go short-term, let's say like the, the Flames did with Matthew Kachuk two years ago, you're looking at three years, $7 million. But then in that three years, how much is his play going to elevate over that time? Because when you got to look at it, when players are in this, you know, 20 to 25 range, 
you got to think about how much it costs to eat up their UFA years. That's the big thing. When I talk to agents, when I talk to GMs, it's always, you got to figure out how much those UFA years are worth. And in terms of Brady Kachuk, who is what now four, three years removed from his draft, he's 21 years old. If you're going to lock him up on an eight year contract and you're taking away three or four years of UFA, you're going to have to compensate him for that. So for me, where the Ottawa Senators are at, I think it's a, a risk well worth taking for them to give him eight years at $8.5 million. But if there is a trepidation there, then I would think you would go the route of uh, what Matthew did with Calgary. Yeah, I, in the way you've explained it, uh, well, thank you for that explanation, Anthony. It actually makes a lot of sense. And I think a quick comparable could be well, P.K. Subban, for that matter. Exactly. Where, yeah, where, where he signed a bridge contract after his uh, entry-level draft. He signed a two-year, $5.75 million contract. And because you're eating up UFA years, well, then that translated into a $9 million a year contract, which he's finally, you know, uh, going to be at the last year of that uh, this year. So that's gonna definitely going to be something to be, the, you know, that's going to be developing within the next couple of days, I'm guessing. But on to another topic that um, you've been wanting to uh, talk about, Anthony, and <laughs> we're going to talk about a team that we just love to talk about on this show. There have been more than one <laughs> gags and, <laughs> and jokes about this team. But you know what? We're actually doing talking about something a little cool. And we're going to talk about the Arizona Coyotes rebranding and going back to the uh, old school uh, logo. So out with the Howling Coyote and back with the uh, an Aztec focused look or whatnot what do you got for uh, for us on that well i actually uh before doing this recording i just had craig morgan on my own podcast brotherly pod um who is an insider for the arizona coyotes and this is kind of them turning a page right the coyotes are going through a full scorched earth rebuild and anyone not named jacob trick chikrin is on the table to be treated including the lights of nick schmaltz and clayton keller so I think for them, it is kind of a symbolic change to try and turn the page on what was that prior regime headed by the infamous John Chaika and let's say Rick Tockett. And now you're moving forward with um, Andre Tohenier and um, Bill Armstrong. They bring in John Ferguson Jr. as the assistant general manager. And you're trying to really just do a facelift of this organization. And obviously, when you do rebranding and you come out with new jerseys, it does have a monetary impact on your organization as well. You can sell more jerseys, say, hey, you want to look like the modern day Coyotes? And for an organization that always struggles to find ways to generate revenue like the Coyotes, this was kind of low-hanging fruit for them. So I think it's mainly those two reasons why they did it. And then you also have to give a reason for fans to come and watch this team or just be interested in any way. You know, this is a team that is going full scorched earth at the heart of relocation rumors, which I was told by Morgan just not even two hours ago, which are completely false. They will be staying in the Arizona area in some capacity. But I think this is just a way for a team to generate some positive interest and some revenue for an otherwise really gloom and doom product. Yeah, and it's another great example of what's old is new again. And to be fair, that that the the word I was looking for was Kachina. That was the yeah. how they 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 uh, represent their um, their brand. It's uh, well, when they came into the league, everyone at first were like, "Well, this is weird," but then it got into you know a little bit of popularity. And it's funny how it ha this happens often when a team rebrands itself. They're like, "Oh no, we prefer the old one." You know, you don't know you you don't appreciate what you got until you lost it, so to speak, right? So. 
I mean, it's 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 interesting to see, you know, that that they're actually. It's fun to see, as a matter of fact. Sorry, like I'm I'm a little lost of of words for this because you know we made fun of this franchise for so long, and everyone kind of just gave up on them and being like, oh, just move already, just get out of here. But now it's the seeing that the actual ownership and the marketing group and everyone who's aboard is actually willing to try at the very least to attract people and attract players for that matter, because this is going to be like a rough couple of years and we don't even know what's going on with their uh, arena scenario. Right. I mean, did you, did you manage to extract any information as to their um, arena fiasco right now? Well, as of right now, I was told by Morgan, who's probably more plugged in with that organization than anyone that um, they are staying in Arizona one way or another. Now, obviously, there's the thing with the lease uh, not being renewed by, um, I forget the name of the town that they're in. It escapes me right now. But in some way, shape, or form, they will find a way. Glendale, exactly. They will find a way to stay in the Arizona state. He completely said that, for lack of better terms, that it was just a fake narrative about the relocation thing, specifically to Houston, because that seems to be the next prime relocation spot if a Western conference team was to have to be relocated. Um, But he completely squashed that. He said they will be staying in the state of Arizona one way or another, even if it is in a temporary capacity in an arena. He he, uh, mentioned one arena by name, but the name escapes me at this moment. But in terms of relocation, he completely said that is uh, pretty much fake news and uh, they will be staying in the state of Arizona. All right, Anthony, just a couple of quick hits before we uh, end this segment. The first one, the news of Travis Zajac announcing his retirement, signed a one-day contract with the New Jersey Devils, which is proper. He spent his entire career there except for last year when he was with the Islanders. Um, Maybe not a Hall of Fame candidate, but I think we'll remember him as a very solid centerman, a two-way centerman. Am I right? Yeah, I've always thought of Travis Zajac as one of the more underrated players in the post-lockout era. Totally. Oftentimes, yeah, oftentimes the 1C for the New Jersey Devils, um, you know, because even when they were, you know, really having some success when they made it to the to the um, Stanley Cup final in 2012, a lot of their best players were wingers and Zach Parise and Patrick Eliash. And Zajac always really flew under the radar for me. And then obviously when Brodeur left and Parise left, the the Devils kind of went on a downward uh, spiral a bit. But I've always liked Zajac. I've always thought that he didn't really get a fair shake. I was happy to see him go to the uh, New York Islanders last year and get one last kick at the can in terms of, you know, achieving some team success. But uh, yeah, well-deserved uh, retirement for Travis Zajac. He will be sticking around with the Devils in a management capacity. Yep. But yeah, I will always just remember him as one of the more underrated players in the post-lockout era. Absolutely agree with you. And then finally, just to end this, well, the theme of this show is obviously the, the uh, celebration of 70 years of Guy Lafleur's life. And uh, the On This Day segment with uh, Josh has always seemed to float around Lafleur for some reason. So um, I know this is way past our our generation, but Lafleur, one of the best of all time. No, yeah, for sure. Especially when you talk about goal scoring and specifically uh, Canadian born, or more specifically Quebecois born. Yeah, you know Guy Lafleur. Uh, not many people can hold a candle to him. That's for sure. Absolutely, Anthony. Thank you so much for this uh, first edition of Around the NHL. Looking forward to doing this uh, every single week with you, buddy. Same man. Really looking forward to next week.
Oh, ladies and gentlemen, what a show, right? Uh, so much to talk about, so much entertainment, so much gee, 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 geeisms. But now it's time to talk about money. Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase laughing all his way to the bank is now looking at CapFriendly.com and looking at all these crazy contracts and thinking, Bobrovsky, what were you thinking, Bobrovsky? You're off the force, Bobrovsky, as one TSN analyst would once say. But you know what? Scott Cowan, Sebastian Hyde, Joshua Rosa joining us for this final segment. And let's talk money. I mean, we're slowly stepping away well, I mean, slowly stepping away. We still have this year, next year, or the year after to finally get rid of Carl Osler's contract, which I think would qualify as one of the worst contracts <laughs> in, in Habs history. But how about the worst we, contract? Maybe the worst contract. But how about we focus on the current roster only? Now, the money management has been pretty good, you know, all around, but you know, I'm pretty sure there's going to be some, some interesting takes here. So how about everyone? Let's pick who is the player on the current Montreal Canadiens roster that has the worst contract. And I'm going to start random dice roll. All right, Scott Cowan, you're, you're going first. The thing is about the Canadiens roster is that a lot of people before, obviously, all the injuries would point to what would be in the Habs' worst contract. As good as where was this past offseason, that contract looks really bad for the Canadians. Unfortunately, well, actually, fortunately for the Habs nowadays, if Weber does retire, then that's going to affect the national Predators, who will have to pay cap or capture on that contract. Yeah, and it's easy, it's easy to complain about Weber, but, but we're not the one who offered him that contract. That exactly. Was, it was, that was a was of flyers. It was an offer yeah. sheet, yeah. But tying into Weber's contract going long-term, I think that, in my own opinion, I'm just going to point to the Habs' contract at the moment in just terms of value and just terms of money being price. And I know it's going to be a very controversial opinion. I know it's going to be an opinion that many people aren't going to agree with, especially after the postseason he had. But regardless, Carey Price is still 34 years old and he's still making $10.5 million a year for the next five seasons. And while he's yeah. fantastic in the postseason, his numbers in the regular season were a different story. A lot of Canadians fans were in leading up to the expansion draft were thinking, why do we leave Price unprotected? Why do we protect Jake Allen? Without Jake Allen, there would have been no playoffs for the Canadians. And I think a lot of fans don't realize how important he was to our team this past season. So going into 2021-22, 2022-23 and beyond, I think it will remain to be seen whether Price will be able to live up to that starter's role and continue to play well. He's had injury troubles in the past, and if he gets hurt again, who knows how that contract is going to reflect upon the team. So while I think that Price is the most talented player for the is one of the most teams most talented players, and he's the backbone of this team, he's their franchise player, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, that's a no-movement clause that the $10.5 million cap hit for a 34-year-old goalie who's one bad injury away from his career being over. So that's just my own personal opinion, but I'm going to throw it to – I'm going to roll the wheel really quick and just throw it high. <laughs> Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take a look at the forward core real quick. Um, so Uh-oh. there are two forwards on the on the Habs roster that are under contract for another six seasons. Uh, they are the longest contracts that are on the team, and I think both are candidates for this slot. So Josh Anderson would be one of those, but he's not the one I'm picking because his contract is un- unlike a certain Eric Carlson's, which Scott Cowan was calling buyout repellent. Uh, Josh Anderson's contract is very easy to buy out in the final three seasons. And at that stage, if he falls off, you can buy him out. No questions asked. It's all good. You can move on. And he might, and he's still, I mean, he's 27 years old and he's, the power he's 33 horse. and he's the power horse. So like <laughs> if you have to buy him out, it's probably just like the last season or two. And by that point, it's pretty easy to do. 
The contract that really worries me is that of Brendan Gallagher, who is a player that I have adored. He was my favorite player growing oh. up. But it's it's a contract that I'm really, really worried about. Like, I, I know, like, um, like Dom from The Athletic, so like Dom Luchishin, it's like the longest name. He So he always, like, looks at analytically what um, contracts look like. And Brendan Gallagher's grades amazingly well in his model. Uh, it's like, like, like totally underpaid, even with this long contract. And I like analytics a lot, but one thing that analytics don't keep in mind is injuries. And we've seen Brendan Gallagher's wrists just take an absolute beating, like to the point that like his wrist shot isn't much of a threat anymore. He kind of just pokes. And I don't, I don't like, I, I really want to be wrong in this assessment because like, I'm also, I'm sure I'm being swayed by recency bias of like judging the playoffs when he was very clearly injured throughout. Um, but six yeah, years at six and a half million when he's 29 years old and when he's 35, I, from what I've seen, I just don't, I don't like it. His play style has taken a toll on his body. And I think that can look ugly real quick. And it hurts me to say, because I love him as a player, but six and a half million with, Brendan Gallagher's play style. I love, I love for the six that, seasons. I actually love the fact that, as hilarious as it is, that Scott and Sebastian are picking the poster child of the Canadians. Like they're they're both the face of the freaking franchise. But at the same time, I love Sebastian how you mentioned Gallagher because everyone is so afraid to 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 say this that his contract is awful. You know, like I don't know, but like if you would have I mean, told it me, could, it could be like. I feel like, like like the next season or two is going to be determined. Like maybe he gets over his injury stuff and he maybe. like it's a fine contract. It's just, it's scary. Maybe it he really rises like a me. Phoenix. Exactly. You never, exactly. you never know, right? Like you don't know, but it could be terrible. It could be fine, but it could be really bad. It could be really, really scary. Uh, Josh, I mean, come on. We pre- Gallagher, uh, Price. I mean, come on. Say, say, tell me one of the big names, man. Tell me Dwayne at this point. Tell me. <laughs> Tell me Jeff Petrie. Tell me Nick Suzuki for crying out loud. I mean, like, okay, so how dare he make nine hundred thousand dollars a how year? How dare he make nine hundred k? Alex Bozilla's elite minimum. That's a crime. <laughs> <laughs> These contracts are too damn high. Joshua Rosa. Can I say the worst contract is that Nick Suzuki hasn't been signed to one yet because that <laughs> bad a contract. But, but um, <laughs> I'm going to go a bit further down the lineup because as we talked about in the past, Montreal is a super expensive third and fourth line that's making a lot of money. And there's a couple of options. There's Yol Armia who's making $3.4 million for maybe um scare me Josh the games you scare me man <laughs> uh he plays really well i love one of my greatest joys is watching him play the penalty kill he could just run in like a wrecking ball in the offensive the other team's defensive zone and just hold it there for 30 seconds but my pick is really Paul Byron. Oh, he was my pick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's so hard because he was so good. He was a waiver wire pickup yeah. from the Calgary Flames. Comes in, scores 20 goals, like clockwork. He was great. 
got a knee injury, got concussions. He was in and out of the lineup healthy this year, and he's making $3.4 million. That's a, a lot year. of money for a bottom six guy. Man, that is ridiculous. Not even bottom six. He's in and out of the lineup last year. He was yeah. he was uh, a waiver. He got put on waivers three or four times. Not and once, no not one twice, but thrice. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but that doesn't say a bad contract. Um, sadly, I don't know. What I know, and, and I was I was gonna say the same thing. I mean, like I love Paul Barrett. I mean, he's a great guy. He wears he wears the lo- the Habs logo on his on his heart every single game. But three and a half million dollars, man. I mean, I do want to say Carey Price though. <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest with you. I mean, like, yeah, to me, it's a tie between Price and, and Byron. Um, yeah, yeah, I know. Price is Price, and he did what he had to do. But, man, $10.5 million, man, that is – if that doesn't scream that we'll take care of the Quebec in- income taxes for you, like, I don't know what does because ugh, that is just absolutely crazy. But yeah. So, Pat, yeah, would you have preferred Seattle to pick Price? Yes. I'll be honest with you. Yes. Um, if Seattle would have picked Carey Price, it opens up an infinite world of possibilities. You know, that's $10.5 million in your pocket right there. And if, if let's say you still, you know, let's say that like, everything can still happen the way it's supposed to happen. You know, you still got Dvorak. KK is gone. Um, you signed Mike Hoffman, David Savard, and everybody else. But now you're suddenly, you suddenly have all this money in front of you. Oh, geez. The, 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 you could have gone. Not Peter only, sorry. Could have gotten a guy like Peter Morazic. That's, that's exactly where I was going. You could have got someone like Peter Morazic. Um, or that, uh, or the, the other kid there from Carolina that was traded, uh, the goaltending. Uh, Djokovic. Yeah. He was awesome. He was, was awesome. And he cost exactly. a third round pick. Exactly. Yeah. You could have had him tandem with Jake Allen, and then you could have made a pitch at a guy like Dougie Hamilton, for all I know. You know, you like, you yeah. know. So, like, well, I think, just, uh, oh, man. And the thing about the problem with both Price and Byron, in my own mind, is that they have their, their contracts are remnant of a past time for the Canadians. Yeah. I gave yeah. Price and Byron that contract back in like the 2016 17 season when Alexander Radulov was their leader on offense before Lobergian went and lowballed him in the loss in the Dallas. And those just don't reflect well in the modern day because that's just how time is, I guess. Yeah, but I think even back then we could have went like, uh, okay, Paul Byron is Paul Byron, but maybe we need Raj love a little bit more. But uh, yeah, maybe who knows? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> how about we um, we uh, expand on this, uh, guys, just to close the show off? But I mean, we we <laughs> talking about the Habs in the entire NHL. Who has the worst contract? Eric Carlson, sorry. I just wanted to oh! <laughs> add and just throw it out there. Not specifically Eric Carlson. I'm a I've written a lot about Carlson in my past. I've just been very I've been fascinated by this contract. I've written a lot of a lot, very interested in it. But I still say that Carlson and Jeff Skinner are a tie in my own personal opinion for the worst contract in the NHL. Mm. As you mentioned, I think Eric is, Eric Carlson's contract is just bio repellent. It's CLR kitchen cleaner. It can work on your bathroom tile. <laughs> 
of those oil stains that you can't get rid of. Eric Carlson's contract is an enigma. It's an albatross for the San Jose Sharks. And I think it very much defines that team even beyond the, the controversy with Andrew Kane. The Sharks are Eric Carlson's contract. A full no movement clause signed till 2026-27 at $11.5 million a year. That makes him the highest paid defenseman in the NHL. And he had 22 points in 54 games last season. A lot of Sharks fans and a lot of NHL fans, for some reason, will make the argument that Carlson's still hurt, that he still needs time to recover. Eric Carlson is healthy right now. The Eric Carlson of the past, in my opinion, is gone. Once he had that ankle injury, once he tore those ligaments in his ankle, the main thing that made Eric Carlson Eric Carlson, his speed, is gone now. So the Sharks are going to have to learn how to, well, they're not either going to have to, they're going to have to learn how to live with this contract because they're never going to be able to get rid of it. They're never going to be able to buy it out. They are permanently and 100% stuck with this. Yep, an agent Carlson on a rebuilding team. Woohoo! You know? Yeah, same thing applies to Jeff Skinner. It's just two players who are either stuck in sense of bad luck or sense of bad goals. And the, I think the best thing to mention about Jeff Skinner was that uh, stickless breakaway he had with the Buffalo Sabres, which if there's a better, better definition for a player's 2021-22 season. I think they're, you can find one. All right, so uh, Scott uh, just uh, robbed us of, uh, of an obvious pick in Skinner. So, Josh, <laughs> Josh, what's your pick for the worst contract in the NHL right now? I'm guessing he's wearing a badge, right? Yeah, I, I just raise your Skinner to say Officer Bobrovsky. Bobrovsky! Bobrovsky. <laughs> he makes more than every other tandem outside of Montreal. <laughs> uh, that's both goalies combined, not just their number one goalie. And you can't tell me that the numbers that he's putting up now are worth both Tampa Bay goalies or both any goalie in the league. You throw a dart, he, he is not good for Tampa, for Florida right now. And it's hard to watch yeah, for sure. Florida get that tied around their neck and drag him down. I still remember when the uh, TSN panel, when Borowski's signing was announced, even then the TSN panel said, they're going to regret this contract. The moment it was signed on July 1st, Ray Ferraro, Jeff O'Neill, all those guys said, this contract is going to look bad in the next couple of years because as is the case of a lot of Russian players in the NHL, frankly, they can just sometimes just take the money and go and they'll take it and they'll run into the ground with that 3.20 goals against average. So, Sebastian, go ahead. Okay, my, mine's a bit inflammatory. I can't, I can't really pick between two players. I'm just going to go with both of them tied at number one. And both of them are going to be at the Olympics uh, in all likelihood. Both of them shouldn't be at the Olympics, in my opinion. Uh, the first of which would be Drew Doughty. Oh, wow. $11 okay. million dollars per year mm. for another six seasons. Where has been... been- when he's basically like, like the value he's been bringing to the ice has been equivalent to that of Brett Kulak. And that's me being kind to debt to Doughty. It's analytically a lot worse than Kulak, but I'm trying to cushion the blow a bit here. Um, so that six seasons of Doughty uh, is ridiculous. It's possible he has a skill to bounce back, but I don't see that happening because he's been um, a below average NHL defender for three seasons now. So that's my first one. The second one is a contract that hasn't even kicked in, in yet. And that would be Seth Jones. Hmm. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. So Seth Jones is making $5.4 million this season. And then he's being paid 9.5 million for the eight seasons afterwards, eight seasons. 
So it'll kick in when he's 27, which is a he's, fine He's the age first NHL player to be paid till 2030. Yeah. Ooh, I did not know that stat. That's, that's wonderful. Good job. So it brings him to the age of 35. And <laughs> Seth Jones, look, I think Dowdy's contract is probably worse. It's just the, the sheer length of this, of like, this ends in nine years, which is insane to me. Uh, because right now, Seth Jones is at least in terms of like the impact he has on, on the ice, at least the past two, three seasons in Columbus is that of an average number three, number four defender. So think David Saval um, being paid $9.5 million for that much longer until the age of 35. He's, I mean, Saval is like 31 now, but if Saval were making $9.5 million in the next four seasons, we'd be clamoring to call him the worst yeah. contract in the league. Uh, and again, Seth Jones has the skill to to climb back, but I don't see it happening. And I think, like besides Bobrovsky, Doughty and uh, Seth Jones are, have the worst contracts in the league. I argue that Seth Jones can potentially come back to being that fifty-seven point guy he was with the Blue Jackets. But the main thing that Chicago is pointing out with this contract is that they're going to ride this team into oblivion with all these big contracts. They have Fleury inked, they have Seth Jones inked, and I think they're just saying, we have Patrick Kane and Jonathan Days for not much longer, let's just throw everything uh, we can at this at these two guys and try and run it into a playoff spot. And if it's going to to the ground. The fact that they had to give up Adam Bogfist in that trade kills. Bogfist is one of the best defensive prospects in the league. Could be better than Jones if he develops properly. Yep. Oh, I I would say he could be better, better than Jones in a year or two. Yeah, I, I totally I agree like him a lot. And giving him up on top of a first round pick and on top of moving up in this past draft and a second round pick plus that contract, Chicago dropped the ball there. And I was very happy to see it happen ever after everything that Chicago has done and shown in the last couple of years. Jeez, yeah. Sebastian, I thought your voice was going to get even higher, 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 and higher. I just, yeah. <laughs> I do not like the Blackhawks organization. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Hugh Scrooge McDuck diving into his big pile of money. Just, <laughs> you know, that's what we've been talking about. Life is like a hurricane. Yeah. <laughs> My pick actually still has. Um, I believe four years left, one, two, three, four years left apart from this season at eight at a cap hit of $8 million a year in which his final three seasons are, have a modified no trade clause where he has to submit a 17, no trade list. I give to you the product of Halliburton, Ontario, Mr. Matt Duchesne. <laughs> I'm seeing the faces. Senator's Ooh. killer. <laughs> he ruined that team. Oh man! Wow. He ruined uh, that team. So, 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 Pat, would you say that you're glad that the Habs didn't get him for more than that money? Oh, I would have given him 11 million. I mean, come on, 12 even. Like, ah, man, Scrooge McDuck is giving give oh, yeah. the entire bank for crying out. Give him big bags of money at that point with the big, exactly. with the big dollar sign on the bags, yeah, exactly. right? Oh, here's here's something to mention, by the way. The National Predators gave away P.K. Subban to sign Matt Duchesne, and now they can't get rid of Matt Duchesne. So. Yep. Nobody wants him. And why And why would you? You know, the guy maybe, maybe can give you 20 goals if he feels like it to begin with. He's done it before, but the problem is he's going to give you 20 goals, but then he's going to flutter around the ice, and he's going to be a minus 30 for the year. Give you 20 if he's, if he's eating his spinach today. If he is spinach... <laughs> 
<laughs> Scott Keller, ladies and gentlemen, with all the obscure 80s references. <laughs> but it's, that's, that's the thing, right? I mean, uh, like, this is another situation where I think, was it was it Joe Sackick who made um, the initial trade to Ottawa? Or was, he, was he still, was, was he there or was it still... Um, well, the thing is, the I'm Senators pretty gave sure it was Sackick. Pretty sure it was Sackick, yes. And yeah. the thing is, uh, originally, the Senators gave a Bowen Byron to get Matt Duchesne or a pick that turned into oh, Bowen. Goodness and they pulled the Uno reverse card later on. Yep. Yeah, anyways, I mean, like, the only the only redeemable part of the of the Ottawa Senators is, is how they got, you know, essentially Tim Stutzley for, for Eric Carlson. Yeah, you know, and more than really, Tim Stitz, like Josh Norris too. And Josh Norris as well. You know, they got really lucky on that. But that was a crazy trade. Yeah, I mean, Josh a... Norris is great. <laughs> He's such a good player, and Stitzel is going to be good for so long. Yeah. Well, I, I said was... it again. I say it again. Like San Jose is in a full-on identity crisis mode right now, and it's, it's crazy what's going on with their situation with their team and Evander Kane and everything. And believe me, when Alex Barabanov is your first-line left winger, I mean, this is just a big, big issue with your team. I mean, Barabanov was good last season. He was great. He's not a first liner. He's good, but he's not a first liner. It's like throwing Justin Mush JD on your first line, going back to what I saw. Oh, for crying out loud. Okay, that's enough. <laughs> 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 on that note, uh, I think uh, let's uh, let's give a little. Uh, a little, a little like wink also at uh, Rick DiPietro's 15 years, 67 million con- dollar contract, or Rizgalov and his nine years, 51 million, or the, go- the Gomer man himself, Scott Gomez, with the seven years, 51.5 million pesos. Or everyone's favorite uh, professional athlete, Bob Vanilla, one million a year for the next, <laughs> what is it, 30 years, 35 years? Bobby Vanilla, sure. I, I think he's still, he's still being paid for another like. Yeah, Bobby Vanilla day, everybody. Oh, I mean, if, yeah, if we're talking about contracts that hurt the team the most, it has to be Ilya Kovalchuk in New Jersey, considering they now basically had to tank. He bailed and it caused them a draft pick. Anyway, yep. on that note, ladies and gentlemen, this is a great show. <laughs> My warmest thanks to Scott Gowan, Sebastian Hyde, Joshua Rosa, and of course, Sam Mendelson, who made his big comeback, and also to Anthony DeMarco, the new recruit of uh, this show, who did an excellent job on his uh, new, seg- new segment. And of course, a special thank you to Julian McKenzie for his very generous time with Scott Cowan. And make sure to check us out. So I mentioned this um, earlier, but uh, www.puckandroll.com. It's up and running. You can catch up on all the old episodes. You can leave us comments. We have a whole bunch of goodies going on there. Shout out and thank you to, to Mr. Shane Ivers for providing us with the wonderful music. And, oh, Josh, this one's for you, buddy. I think we could say it once again. On this day... The year of our Lord, Guy Lafleur was born. Happy birthday, Guy. See you next week, everyone.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumbo Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumbo Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.